here. Uh, Ken, Preds to the cap writes in, should we have higher expectations of the Predators spending to the cap, or are we just okay with the Predators not being a cap team? I don't know what I would do if we didn't go very long without the Predators saying we're going to be a cap team and then not doing it. That's just part of the team's appeal to me. We're talking about our cap. We're talking about our personal cap. That That's the excuse we usually get. Oh, we have an, we have an yeah, internal yeah. budget, then yeah. we're meeting that. Yeah, because they say twelve million dollars. And below. whose fault is that? Because you're because you were proactive with Shea Weber. That's your that's your fault. You know? Anything else we really need to add to that? No, I mean I don't know what they're gonna. I mean they're gonna be spending more money towards the cap next year with Forsberg and, and Jones. Yeah, I mean they've got. I mean, Poyle is having to manage the the Weber and the Rene contracts, and that's just not going to be a lot of fun as they try to start signing new players. But fortunately, guys like Gostad and Nystrom will slowly start coming off the off the the cap. Leads us right into our last question. Rachel Freeman, one of our favorite uh, interactors on Twitter, why doesn't management sit uh, sit Nystrom and let Watson play? We really don't have a great answer. No. I, if you have an answer, <laughs> please send it to literally anybody, anywhere. All right. Welcome into the show that's not being paid as much as Anjay Kopitar. This is the Predcast presented by Lions Own Internet Marketing Solutions on thefourcheck.com. His name is Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. Um, I want to start somewhere today, have a little bit of fun. So I'm, I'm going through the comments section on, on one of our own pages, and my uh, curiosity was perked because one of the commenters said, you want to go check out this particular piece on the Titans version of On the Forecheck, which is Music City Miracles, our friends over there, another SB Nation site. And they wrote an article stating that um, essentially the five worst or the five head coaching candidates the Titans should look at next year. Just to give you an idea, Titans fans are not happy about this current head coach. That's just a gross understatement that deserves a smack across the room, of course. So question I have just to get started off right off the bat, then we'll go into how your weekend was. What's the... NHL equivalent of this is it Craig McTavish or hiring a guy that you know is probably not going to be successful that this is just a hire to appease the locker room that doesn't know any better what's the what's the hockey version of this well, two, two things one that's an article that I would write um, yeah the, that's this, I mean that's inevitable that's something I would absolutely I'm this write like that for the like from a predator's point of view I'm surprised he didn't call me I'm hurt a little bit <laughs> I don't know anything about football really but I could have helped you need to get your name out yeah there. And, and two uh, it, I don't know if there's a team necessarily in the NHL that is actively doing this, maybe, but like the Team USA, the ice hockey, like on, for ice hockey, seem to really be into bringing on bad coaches. Like Ron Wilson, who famously said he just never bothered to watch the Russians play hockey and then probably lost to them. Yeah, that's what you want. Uh, and then I think what Tortorella is, uh, is going to be. He's the head coach, coach USA for the World Co- Cup. For the World Cup, is going to be Tortorella, who's another bad coach. Now, see. Th- you're going out and picking guys who are bad, and like I think I, I keep hearing like Randy Carlyle's name in consideration for potential vacancies and things like that. It, all these things they're swirling, so it's going to happen. So we're going to have an equivalent of it probably sometime over the summer or sometime soon when, when NHL coaches start getting fired. Someone's going to go grab Carlyle because you know he was in Toronto. You know maybe if he had some better talent, he could do better things. He, he did good things with the Ducks, even though the Ducks were kind of an anomaly. They just had a lot of good shooters. Oh, well, was, he, he, also, he also had Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer. That's a good thing. And that was, a, I think, I would argue also that's a, that was a, a prior era. 
in yeah. hockey. We've we've obviously had a shift where we've gone from you know, we had the kind of post lockout where the Ducks could clutching sort of, and grabbing. Yeah, to we've because he was he kind of did pretty well immediately post lockout and a few years after that, and then we've we've switched shifted style since then i think yeah they had some good puck moving defense but they also had some monsters back there and they oh, yeah. also had a good two goalie tandem with uh brisgalov and uh, js jaguar they mm-hmm. had they had the nhl convinced for another season or two that you could literally fill your team with big brutes and win a stanley cup yeah then they have paris and McGratton on one line or was that later <sighs> i'm trying to remember i think that was later but i don't know if that i know that they um I mean, I've got a computer right here. I could look that up. Well, while well, you're don't, looking don't that up, crazy. Yeah, while you're looking that up, I am excited for the day that some backwards franchise brings back Adam Oates and a full time oh, coaching role. Oh Adam yeah, I, I I feel sorry for. There are probably about like twenty teams that I'd feel sorry for. Um, maybe a little bit less, but if oh my god, he's so bad. He's so bad. Or the day that Patrick Waugh finally gets uh, canned from Colorado, you know, 10 years from now, because they're, they're expecting him that he's going to go on and do wonderful things again, even though he's one of the worst coaches in the league right now. And then hey, for, he's going to Jack Adams. Be careful. Oh, yeah, the PDO award. Great. Thanks, Simeon Verlamov, for that. Uh, I was wrong on that. Uh, they had George Peros, Travis Moen, and you played 13 games in the playoffs that year for the Ducks. Brad May. Wow, Brad yeah, May. I haven't heard Brad that in a long time. And amazingly enough, Brad May did not even lead that team on uh, penalty minutes that year in the playoffs. That's that's actually a, that's, that says a lot about his restraint or his lack of ice time. Yeah, Corey Perry had 27, Rob Niedermeyer had 39. Wow. But 39. then again, I mean, that's how, that's how the Ducks... You I said Scott their, Niedermeyer, didn't I? Whoops. They're talking about their, their, um, their playoff year, they right? Both. The, their they had both. They had Scott Cup and year, Rob. But that was in their Stanley Cup year, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, they... Anyone who remembers those playoffs, the Ducks decided they were just going to beat up. Like if if they were losing, they were going to meet your team in the back alley behind the stadium and just beat the crap out of them before the next game. That's how the Ducks approached those playoffs, and it worked. That's also what Chris Pronger calls a Tuesday night. That sounds like fun. Sorry, I can't make any any jokes about <laughs> that it. Sounds like fun. I just like wow. I mean, if you can so, remember where you are, I mean, it sounds like fun. So yeah. many bad jokes I, I just want to make, and I'm not going to do it. Mm. After that, how was your weekend? Uh, it was, it was, you know, it was pretty good. I had a very, very early Saturday morning. I was up at 6 a.m. Soccer. I had to go to, yeah, soccer downtown. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, other than that it's early morning, soccer. it was a lot of... Man, I hate soccer right now. Hey, Everton will be okay? Did you I see what happened? I did. I did. I was, I was, um, I had actually just, just tweeted how bad, about how bad Chelsea was, and then they equalized, and then Everton pulled ahead, and then, of course, the... Racist champion himself, John Terry, scores an offside goal. Yeah, that was like Patrick Kane scoring with six goals and with six players. That was he was that was was on par with that. That was like Duchesne's like against the Predators offside level goal almost. Yeah, it was bad. I know, I know, and I wanted you guys to win so badly because I hate Chelsea. Yeah, Tottenham's. I mean, they're at least entertaining this year. Well, they're always entertaining. Usually, just it's usually in a bad way. Yeah. But not a, you know, I, as 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 I as I distress Dan Dan, uh, play, I was playing a an, an adventure game called Siberia, and it happens to be a kind of a jerk character in the game named Dan, and Dan wasn't paying attention and thought I was calling him an ass. So uh, no, I, I was, I knew it wasn't me because I knew I, you saw you hashtag Siberia, and I'm like, I just saw all these Dan. dots. I'm like, I'm just trying. What's to, Link doing? I don't want to. I don't want to think right Dan. Now. I don't want Dan to think that I'm I'm going after. He's not him. even spelling Siberia right. <laughs> well, I could I, I could launch into a diatribe about that, but I won't. But yeah, I just, you know, adventure games and Heroes of the Storm and 
soccer. That was my weekend. John, how about you? It's good, man. Uh, very relaxing, which since I got back from Christmas, haven't had a whole lot of relaxing weekends because I've been trying to get, you know, clean the house, get everything all set up. But uh, yeah, took a break from hockey until about Saturday night. I've only watched like 15 minutes of a Capitals game so far. They've had two. And uh, I got a stew going on right now, which is pretty sweet. And nice. uh, I bought my tickets to go see Anthrax and Lamb of God on Wednesday. I'm pretty stoked about that. Cool. Wow. Oh, wow. So on Wednesday, you're going to go see a band, and I'm on, and then the day, next day I get to fly to Texas. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. I'm. Who's going to get beat up first? Mm. I've been to Texas many times and still escaped lots of violence. I did want to have one cabbie in Austin. Well, also, you... Uh, swear he would never drive us again because we tried to pay with cars instead of cash and he didn't like that was this was this like two years ago or longer yeah it was two years okay. ago now i think that's pretty standard most cabs probably oh, no no take. no no. He, he they it's because um there's like a surcharge yeah if you pay with a card mm-hmm. on the, but the cabbie doesn't it, it they so they get less fare gotcha um and well, he didn't so he would run our card and he was it, he was intentionally not letting it run and mm-hmm. we're like we don't have cash so he just left without us paying <laughs> Well, wow. the good news is, is that since you're going to be in the uh, hotel attached to the airport, you're not really going to be experiencing yeah, Texas. Yeah, we were talking this a little bit beforehand. So, I'm literally going to, I literally land in Texas, walk into the hotel. I'm there for like 36-ish hours, and then I leave and I get home like sometime Saturday early, early, early in the morning. Yeah, so that puts your safety up a little bit. So, I mean. I don't know what I'd be at, at risk of. Who who would I be at risk from? Texans. Like, like Langoliers? Sorry, I had to, I, was, I, I just had to. Yeah. I'm, what I'm airport did that take place in? You don't remember? Uh, they were flying from Boston to LA, I think. There you go. I think. So, I don't know. Well, we'll see because Anthrax has a song called Cotton and Mosh, and then Lamb of God loves doing the Wall of Death. So, man, that sounds great. Yeah, I, we'll see. I, I was pretty tame. I think I've just come to the realization that my body no longer likes beer. Boo. And this is very painful for me because. Um, I used to do beer purchasing for a you know a good mid-sized box store. I uh, have claimed to tried over like 500 different types of beer, and I've realized that my body just doesn't like it anymore. So important question: Are you still going to come to the beer fest if the yes. predators oh, do it next year? Oh, absolutely, yes. Okay, I mean, that's all I care about. Uh, the I just realized as I, I went to Corey's Doghouse over the weekend, and I'm I'm drinking it. I'm like, you know, this is really tasty, but I'm going to have trouble finishing this glass. I have fully embraced wine. Wine is like this sweet embrace of an old friend that's just like, come home, man. Just just come just home. Come home. <laughs> it's great. I, I have uh I've got like six different bottles at my house now and I can't I I'm excited to go home and, and have it again. This is like <laughs> a open up a whole new door of functioning alcoholism for me. I'm 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 really excited. I, I, I just picture they're all tucked nicely into bed all little bottles. Uh, I've, um, they're not quite that bad, <laughs> but, um, I'd found out that the place that condo I moved into has like the little rails for your glasses underneath the shelves that I'd even put there. This kind of cool. So I've been putting that to use. Um, I discovered this blackberry wine that's actually made here in Tennessee and it is just out of this world. It's a nice dessert wine. I, yeah, I imagine because blackberries are extremely sweet. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other ones I've picked up too, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, but like I, I have more fun doing that than just about anything right now. Interesting. I still love my beer. Nothing wrong. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with with liking beer. I liked beer for a long time too. But man, it's once you come to that other side, you're like, wow, what have I been doing to my body all this time? It, filling it with beer, hoppy goodness and suddy joy. I do sudsy I, joy. 
I'd much rather I would I would about a thousand times rather have a nice glass of wine than an IPA. At some point we need to do that, man. All right. So Just, you say beneath a wine rack full of yeah, wine. You know what? I've never seen any of these bottles open before, so I don't even know if they have anything in them. Well, they they wrote if you you, you may not notice, but they actually change. Yeah, and I, I, well, I see the red truck and the seven deadly zins here for like every every time. But. Yeah, well, those those are kind of standards. I'm not a huge Zinfandel person, but people, it's a, it's a popular Zinfandel. Yeah, red truck's really good though. It's a good table wine. Yeah, yeah. and you can bring it just about anywhere, and just you know, everyone's like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's pretty so, good. So, some of these don't get rid because they're special, so I don't want to just yeah open them for the for the sake of opening them. I was worried they were vinegar at this point. Nah. <laughs> okay, good. I've just never seen them in it's, action. It's wine. They, they 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 stay okay. Okay. Well, no, but after after a while, does it not turn to red wine vinegar. Um, that that's typically if they've been exposed to air. Ah, uh, okay. So these are all these are all still sealed. Yeah, I mean that's why you have bottles of wine that are decades old because understood. All right, just leave them alone. Mm-hmm. You're fine. Excellent year. So even though the team went one one and one this week, which I think one or two of us may have predicted, and once we said we'd be okay with because this was kind of a tough week for them, they were at least entertaining. They scored two goals or more in every single game. We saw some signs of life. They called up the pro- called up one of the prospects. So we'll dive into that. But as a week, all I mean, we're not. I'm not too despondent and discouraged by this at all. I I am encouraged greatly by certain things, and greatly discouraged and worried by other things. I think I finished the week as a net neutral, and I mean that. And I'm okay with that. It's better than being in the pits of despair, but I think there's some real positives from the week. I think that's that they're not making all the changes they need to make. Yeah, and I think part of that is because that Winnipeg game was just so bad for the first, what? 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Yeah, I was going to say 35, Actually, 40 minutes. it was great for the first 20, terrible right. for the next yeah. 20, and encouraging for the last 20. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a little bit all over the place. Yeah, and it's a little chaotic. At but times. You, you also think about just how bad they are at three on three. I mean, they could have won that game. Yeah, how but is a team like I? I went back and I watched that three on three. It's so bad, and it's just so passive. Let's start from square one with Chicago game. Uh, going into the game, I was all confident saying that hey, Pecorines, he's okay with his even strength save percentage. He's just had a rotten penalty kill because last year to this year. His penalty kill save percentage is five points lower than what it was last year. His even strength save percentage is only off by a point. Actually, not even a full point. Last year, his save percentage, from comparing it from last year to this year on the penalty kill, down 5%. So I'm, I was thinking, you know what? No, it's, it's just the penalty kill is the problem. Well, then Saturday, and then uh, the game against Chicago happened where they uh, they outshoot Chicago 43-23. to 23. They outchance them. And Pecorino's positioning is all over the damn place, and they lose three to two, even with a perfect penalty kill. Yeah, I, it it comes down. I mean, his his like high danger sabers, like he does, he's not stopping the high danger shots. He's not doing a great job stopping any of the shots, and and his movement isn't very sharp. Uh, I mean, his positioning is for the most part okay, uh, but he just seems to lack. I mean, it's okay. It's he was not, out of the net for the Shaw, for the Shaw goal. His positioning was pretty rotten for one of the other goals as well. Well, I, I think, well for the first shot, I think it's it's the follow ups. Yeah, that, and, that, that's uh, the problem. I was getting that Link was saying that his positioning just for the overall season was okay, because the positioning for the Chicago game for the most part, like when his positioning was bad, it was bad. Like it was getting to the point where I wanted to strap a harness to him and have like one of those retractable leashes. So if he left his crease by more than two inches, like reel him back in. Yeah. He seemed despondent, I think, in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 
that I was happy that they at least pressed the action of Chicago. Ribeiro's goal seemed to wake them up in several different ways. Right. They seemed to be much more like their old selves. They pushed the action. Uh, Johansson's line looked really good, but it circled back to that Mike Ribeiro goal. That, that seemed like the fire finally got lit for the first time in a while. You know, it, it, that's, that's the encouraging thing that I took from the week is that the offense actually seems to be refreshed. And I mean that in almost like a computer term where they literally click the little refresh button in the corner of the web browser and, and the whole thing is like, oh yeah, let's get, let's actually start working again. And, uh, I think they were trying real hard and they were, they were really pushing it and they just couldn't, they just couldn't get that goal. And then when Ribeiro scored it, they're like, oh yeah, that's how that works. And at that point they were just kind of throwing things at net and, and, and pulling it together. Um, though. Yeah, and I yeah. thought towards the end of the game, it was one of those things where I I, I don't know if I remember seeing the um, kind of line chemistry that we saw later on in the week where they were more along the lines of just trying to get something on net and try and get Crawford to, you know, bobble a puck or, you know, catch him out of position or something like that. Um, but yeah, they, they definitely looked like it was something like, okay, you know what, enough of this crap. It's, you know, it was three to nothing at that point. We've got a goal. Let's just start chipping away. Yeah, they seem to be much more at home. The um, I, I, When you look at positioning, Corey Crawford's a fine example of what a stable goaltender is when it comes to his positioning. I mean, he you rarely saw him skate out of his own blue ice. And he wasn't trying to do too much. That's the reason why the Blackhawks love him. Yes, he's overpaid. Mm-hmm. Yes, that contract's going to be an albatross. But for right now, it makes a lot well, of sense. He also seems to be playing a bit more stably this season. Uh, you know, he's always, as if someone said, hey, Corey, just don't, move around so much and he's like i'll give that a shot yeah and that was one of the things that i noticed too because and we talked about it last week where the rangers game you know you got lundquist moving from side to side there really wasn't any of that in the chicago game yes they had a fair amount of high danger chances and yes they had a fair amount of shots from you know right in the slot or right at the bottom of the face-off circles but they weren't getting second chances and they weren't getting them to move a whole lot to where that they could either capitalize on those second chances or catch them out of position this is sorry. This thought just cropped in my head. Let's hear it. Uh, and I'm, I might be getting ahead of us a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to try not to be. This season, or or in general, has there been a goaltender who's struggled so much with wraparound goals in Pekka? Because I just I don't know if it's confirmation bias. Like I see it, and I'm like another one. Uh, and it's something that I've kind of drawn my head. But it just seems like we, we've talked about how his movement has been an issue, and you know maybe it's hip related or something where he's not getting side to side as well. But it just seems like teams really try to do the wraparound against him a lot, especially this season. Well, that would make sense. I mean, if you're having trouble with lateral movements, that's one of the biggest things you can do to test somebody. I mean, because within like the span of like two-tenths of a second, you can be on one side of the net and the other side of the net, and you have no idea where the puck's going when you get to the other side. So just a quick stat rundown. You were talking about high danger save percentage from Pecorine. Last year, uh, Warren Ice, even strength, uh, has the Pecorino's high danger save percentage at 85.92%. That's really good, by the way. Last yeah. This year, 81.14. Now look at the other numbers. Low danger this year, 97.69. Medium danger, 92.76. Last year, low danger, 98.49 and 90.23. He's actually saving a little bit better of everything else, low danger and medium danger. But the high danger save percentage, that's a huge yeah, I, difference. I, I think the other ones are probably kind of, at least the, the mid danger is probably within like variance. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's probably kind of equal. But yeah, he's, just, he's not making the saves people are accustomed to him making. And, and that, I think that, that's stating the obvious. But for Pekka, that, that's a big deal. Because the, the thing about him is he, he's always been 
the goaltender who can make those ridiculous saves. Actually, I, I was actually looking at a wrong category. This is a live uh, live air screw up. Actually, whenever the default for some reason a war on ice is uh, Link's favorite goalie, Jonathan Quick, uh, Pecorine last year. <laughs> So Pecorine those, those la- were Pecorine's numbers? Throw that off. Uh, okay. Pecorine last year, low danger save percentage, 97.74. Medium danger last year, 95.52. So that's a 3% drop in medium danger. The uh, the low danger, about on par. Which you'd hope. Which yeah, you'd which really you'd hope. Yeah, yeah, you'd absolutely. Hope. So it's, 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 that's, that's uh, comparing, from, that's comparing from, uh, from the beginning of the season till this day, from last year to this year. So that's when Pecor was at his apex point last year. That's not including the... Like the because he got injured around this time last year. That's right? not including the post injury yeah. peck. Okay, so it all comes back to that hip injury. Well, I I think the injuries in general are an issue with Pekka, and you know I I spent some time uh, last week really thinking. Okay, I keep looking at Pekarina, and I know I know I think John, you wrote that detailed piece on him several like a month or a couple months ago, month and a half, month two months ago, months ago yeah. yeah. Because I, I just keep looking because it, it, he's a bit of a quandary to me. Because uh, when you look at his career numbers, he's only had three seasons where his his overall save percentage has been above league average, and the other ones have all been below league average, uh, and so it makes me it just makes me wonder how much have we propped up Pecorini as like a, as a as a Nashville City fan base, and you know has has that created a, you know a, a bias where you think he should be better than he is. Um, is there an air of spectacular about him? Is it just because he seems to get injured at, at and, and the injuries he seems to pick up are major, where they actually are, are hip related? They debilitate his ability to make saves. You know, there's something that doesn't add up in his kind of body of work that concerns me. Well, I think also because he was brought up a lot later than a lot of normal goaltenders are. Because like he was what already 25 or 26 yeah, when they brought yeah. him up like full time, mm-hmm. um, and then so he had a bunch of good seasons after that. But now, I mean, we know that after the age of 30, goaltenders' st- numbers and their abilities start to decline very rapidly. And then once you get to like 33, 34, then they start falling off a cliff. Unless you're no yeah, Henrik Lundqvist or Roberto Luongo, you know those going for a while. Off, yeah. Um, and when he went off the cliff, he... but like these like really really good goaltenders. Yeah. Um, so. I, I I think that there's maybe some maybe what you said where Pecorino has been propped up by the great play that he had because when he was really good he was really good and it wasn't just people in Nashville that recognized that it was people all over the league uh, and now we might be seeing okay there's you know maybe there's something there with the injury maybe it's just the fact that he's getting older and just can't do what he used to do anymore maybe um, he's maybe it has something to do with his divorce uh, possibly another thing I didn't that even I know he was divorced. Yeah, uh, another thing that I was thinking about was uh, I do not know what types of things uh, Ben Vanderklok, the goaltending coach, is working on him with. I don't know if there's something that they've changed, if there's something that they're looking at, or whether he's getting maybe not the best advice anymore, which might be hurting. Uh, I don't know how much stock to put into that, and I'm not going to say that's exactly what's going on. Just another one of those weird things where maybe that there's something there because you look at, you know, I mean, a bad coach can certainly derail a goaltender. So uh, just a real quick note on that uh, before we move on to the Winnipeg game. What do you guys think about, this is something I was going to say a little later on, but why it's topical. Um, Sean Burke doesn't have a job right now in the NHL. He wants to get more into front office work, but do you see it? Do you think it's a bad idea to bring in someone like a Sean Burke who has not only just 
been an excellent goalie coach. He's resurrected goalies' careers. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be a bad idea to bring him in as a goaltending consultant, maybe work some with Pekka during the season, and then finding him a good front office job in the Predators? I don't care. Make up a title. Get him in the building. That's where I'm at with Sean Burke. Yeah, I'd be all for that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's fine. I don't think we've had any proof that, that Vanderklok is not good at what he does. Right. Um, I mean, and I, I didn't, I didn't I, mean to yeah, say no, that I think, at I mean, all. I mean, Corn. if Corn trusted him as number two, he's probably pretty good. But, mm-hmm. when, you know, it, there's clearly some issues, and, and maybe he can even walk, you know, walk in and be like, guys, maybe you should have gotten a, you know, a, a proven backup and, and not saddled your starter with a absurd number of games per season, and, and you'd have more success across the board. The mind of Mitch Korn was something that we took for granted, I think, as an organization. Mm-hmm. And I mean to say, like, I'm part of the organization, but it's something we took advantage of with the organization from its inception. Bringing in someone like a Sean Burke and giving him some type of title to keep him in Nashville, and maybe, who knows, who one day maybe he replaces Paul Fitton, who replaces David Poyle. That could be a monumental decision right there that i mean if you were talking about improving the team right now you could spend a few hundred thousand dollars bring in sean burke and it doesn't count towards the salary cap or anything and you've improved the roster immediately it's not a bad idea just throwing it out there i don't think anyone really disagrees Mm-mm. no and hurry up and do it because you know he's right now i think on the um one of the world cup coaching staffs you want to make this move sooner rather than later someone else is going to do it first on that note we head to the great white North, I don't know what's so great about it. Uh, lose 5-4 to overtime, Winnipeg. Um, Kevin Fiala gets a start. Uh, starts on the top line within less than a minute in. First shot, first goal. We love that kid, right? He is so much fun to watch him play. Just just a joy to watch him play hockey. He is, and this is something I guess I either forgot about or didn't notice uh, watching him in person, but he is so fast. Like I was watching him like, go up and down the ice uh, yesterday like whew. kids got some kids got some wheels on him and can we also talk just very briefly gush over how good he looks with with uh, Johansson yes we can absolutely I mean, yes we can the two of them are just like you, you want to go attack the net like brutal savages and Johansson's Johansson's like yeah we'll do that and they just do it and it's fun and James Neal is fitting very well next to Johansson as yeah, well J- yeah, Neal can just kind of circle around and take opportunistic shots as they come up and, and whip them on net whenever he wants and there's a guy actually crashing the net, and you're, who knows when Fiala is going to come out of like the seat down from the ceiling and just start whacking away at pucks. I mean, it's it's really exciting stuff that I, Nashville's never had a center who's really exciting like that. I mean, Sullivan was talented. Wait, Sullivan wasn't. He was a center. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he right uh, wing. Yeah, I was like, he's not a center. Um, I, I think of like Arnett or Dumont. Uh, Korea was um, exciting. Well, Korea actually, I started watching right after the fire sale. Okay, so I became I converted after that, so I didn't get to I didn't I saw a little bit Korea, of Korea. It but, was Greg Johnson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, <laughs> David Legwand had some exciting moments, but they were when he when he bought between. a new boat, when he when he sailed that new boat, when he <laughs> That's about it, you know, when tried he docked to do the boat for the first time, and someone said, "Hey, nice boat," and he said, "Thank you." Also, when he went into the wrong penalty box, that was that was easily the best moment of his career for us, which is sad. But no, uh, you're you're kind of getting at something that I was joking about the other day. Whereas, uh, so Kevin Fiala and Ryan Johansson are brand new to the team, so they haven't gotten like their spirits crushed by what's been going on recently, and they're just like, we're out here to have fun and do some spectacular plays and get the puck on net. And James Neal is just going to hang out over there and whip the puck on net when he gets an opportunity, and that's what's going to happen. And it's so much fun to watch. 
And also, it creates a creates a very good duality with the lineup because now, what was the first line for most of last year? I mean, it was Philip Forsberg, Mike Ribeiro, Mike Ribeiro and, Greg and Greg Smith. Smith. That's, That's now second your second line. line. What was the second line last year? It was Mike Fisher, Colin Wilson, and James Neal. Well, James Neal's not on the top line. Now you can roll out Cali Yarncroke on the third line with Fisher and Wilson whenever he gets healthy because, let's face it, Eric Nystrom point streak is, is it's a thing, but <laughs> we'll I talk st- about that later. I stand by even even... He is lucky more frequently, more frequently than any predator I can remember. I'll never. I mean, I, I know Halastuk had that one ridiculous season, eighteen goals. But but <laughs> over the course of the time Nystrom has been with the Predators, he's scored way more goals than anyone was expecting to score, and it just seems to keep happening in the weirdest ways. I mean, it's just, you, there is you have to give a guy credit for at least going to the net and, pl- and playing a and role a, that people I mean, don't want to His, roll, his don't uh, do, but. goal on Saturday, it was a great deflection. Mm-hmm. Fantastic deflection. Goal. And his goal against Winnipeg, I mean, he drove the net while Ryan Ellis is attracting all the attention in the world to get, get Ryan from Ellis the so chest. Good. He's so <laughs> smart. That sequence, yeah. I just want to watch that over and over again. I want to have so that. Smart. I want to have that gif like pasted on my wall if you could, but you can't. Mm-hmm. Circling back to the Winnipeg game again, Rene did not look sharp. Uh, so I mean, he that goal in three, the goal against the um, the goal in the overtime. I wasn't too upset about it just because there was no pressing at all from the three on three. But the rest of the goals he gave up. One of them was on a breakaway. That wasn't. I don't really fault him on that one because that was just an excellent offensive play. So, but the other three goals were like, really? The two Bufflin ones and yeah. Well, the one yeah. Bufflin was a wraparound um, that he just Pekka just didn't seem like he was ever going to get there. And that's Bufflin. It's not like Bufflin is skating like the wind. Mm-mm. He's skating like a Bufflin. That's not very quick. No. The guy does not turn. <laughs> no, he he is like. I mean, he David Legwan should be a, actually another guy who has a. Uh, history with boats is Bufflin because he actually skates like a freaking boat. It's true. You can't turn. I thought you were going a whole different what, place. Like when the, you, David Leguan should captain Dustin Bufflin? No, you said, Dustin Bufflin? you said uh, another guy who's got a history with boats is Dustin Bufflin. Yeah. Oh, the summer like in 2011. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. was that yeah. did, that that was the joke. joke. We're, okay. all, we're all on the same page here. That's the all joke. Right. Never mind. Whoosh. Now they had 18 high danger scoring chances to Winnipeg's five. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Connor Hellebuck is, is becoming like a Phoenix Coyotes backup goaltender to the Predators. That's not well, a good he's, sign. I would say he's been... He's been excellent th- I mean, doesn't, He's been great. Yeah, he's been great every game he's played for yeah, his entire time. Because he's got uh, somewhere in between like somewhere between 15 and 20 starts. I don't know if it's like 16, 15, something like that. And I mean, he's rocking a 930 save percentage. Yeah, I, mean, I think even higher than that. It's not going to last, but it's not going to be much worse, you wouldn't think. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The penalty kill allowed one goal. It wasn't the greatest of goals in the world, but... Um, I think we've seen worse. We've seen worse. Yeah. Oh, no, the penalty kill didn't look as bad this week. We know that that's still going to be kind of a issue going forward, but... Yeah, I'm not... I mean, it, outside of Chicago, it's not like the Predators were facing any offensive juggernauts this, this week. Uh, and, and so anything that happened defensively, I take with a grain of salt because... I think that they're still, they haven't really solved any issues. Nothing really looked different. I just think they were, weren't being pressed as hard in the, on the uh, PK. We're going to dive a little bit more on the penalty kill a bit later on. Uh, one any last equation from the Winnipeg game? Because this was a game I've, that if you look at the chart or just look at how they played in the last few minutes with the with the goalie pull, that was inspiring stuff. That was uh, with the past, last four minutes of that game might have been some of the most entertaining hockey that I've watched so far this season. Yeah, and that underscored the the one thing that, that really has frustrated, I know, myself, and I'm sure most uh, most people about the Predators this season, 
is that that's the type of game they're capable of playing for 60 minutes. They just don't seem to be able to get engaged, at least traditionally. I think I, I think with, with the addition of Johansson and Fiala, I keep saying Johansson. Joe Hansen. Joe Hansen. It's 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 like saying trying to me trying to say Louisville. Is that right? Louisville. Did I say that right? Louisville. It takes a lot. Takes me. I should think think it through to say it properly. But I, it just is the excite like the level of play needs to be there, and we saw in that in that that segment that sequence. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then they come back home Saturday against Minnesota. Penalty kill looked much much better. Um, and a lot of the game did look like a penalty kill because they were guarding Carter Hutton. Um, Hutton gets the start, and Hutton it's almost like he watched the Corey Crawford training book on how to be how to be effectively positioned for a team that's going to try to bail you out, aka the Minnesota Wild last year. And he got a lot of support from the team, had made the first save, made the first save, and uh, even though the team surrendered more shots, it felt like that none of them were asking too much of Hutton. No, I mean, I looked at the shot chart before uh, we uh, came on the air, and there were a lot more uh, shots within that slot area than I remember seeing. Um, So I don't know, you know, those were blocked or anything like that, but there always seemed to be at least one or two predators in that slot area, which is not something that we've seen a whole lot. And even though they did get out uh, out attempted, out shot, um, you know, in an 82-game season, that's fine, but I thought that, as far as the little things go, like their board play, their uh, uh, stacking in front of Hutton, they're getting pucks out of the zone, they're starting on all the little things. They did much better than, than we've seen them in weeks. And one thing that, that stood out to me that only became pronounced when I went back and was watching highlights to review is you know, some of the shots that, that Hutton was that were on Hutton were that were saves were a little bit worrisome to me because. They weren't as though he he took him in the chest and locked it down or batted it way to the side. They would hit him and he'd kind of drop it to the butterfly and then you'd see it come out from between his legs and go wider than that. And or he just he was just barely getting there and getting it, you know, in just the right way where it wasn't going in. There's, I think the Wild were unlucky not to score a couple goals. Uh, I, I think that the Predators kind of stole, definitely stole a game there. Especially after that first period. Yeah. Um, just because I, I, there were some some moments where I'm like, I can't believe that that got, because he would just get turned just far enough aside. And that worried me through the course. So, I mean, Hutton did a great job. He worked really hard. He got, he, he made a lot of huge saves. I'm hardly convinced by by just that one game. I, I think that the Wild got really unlucky last, or last night, Saturday night. I think there's some truth to that. Um, power play unit looked really good. The Where you have James Neal just kind of camping out in the slot, it's almost like a 1-3-1 style power play. And um, I'm loving this. Yeah, and I, This is a lot of fun. You might have to refresh my memory. I thought for a little bit last year when the power play was awful that they started the season with the, using a 1-3-1, and it just did not work for them, so they went back to the umbrella. But I think that goes on the fact that right now you've got uh, – Shea Weber and Roman Yossi are both really good power play uh, players in their own right. And then you've got James Neal, Ryan Johansson, and Mike Ribeiro all on one unit. I mean, that's a pretty freaking good unit right there, especially because not only does uh, can uh, Johansson run the power play and also score on the power play, you've got Ribeiro there that can also run a power play pretty well in his own right as well. You're not asking Ribeiro to do a bit too much where he's having to set up all the plays where it's just, okay, let's pass the buck to, to Magic Mike and let's just all like you know orbit around and wait for that magical pass. Yeah, I, I think this week we, we get to see uh, Laviolette coach a team with the players that in personnel he'd like to have on the ice. 
Uh, I, it, he going into Philadelphia, his prior job, he had a Claude Giroux to play with, and you're talking about an elite center. Now you finally get a, a Ryan Johansson, uh, and he can start doing things that are more exciting, more dynamic, more active. Uh, and I, I think we're starting to really see that take hold these past uh, two games. Yeah, there's some truth to that. Um, we never, we didn't notice, we haven't really noticed Cody Bass over the last couple of games. He got called at the same time as Fiala, and that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that's probably. Has he been thing. playing? Yeah, he yeah. played nine minutes. Wow, he played nine minutes against the uh, against the Wild there. Um, just looking at the time of ice on this, I just wanted to confirm something. Matias Heckelm and Ryan Ellis are playing north of 19 minutes, and that's great. But we haven't really come. It's we're over half an hour into the show, and we haven't complained about Anthony Botetto yet. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's... We haven't really had to. The thing about Anthony Botetto, I was thinking about this yesterday when I was watching the game. I always expect him to do something like just awful and horrible just because I think that that's where... I mean, that that first game where he and Bartley were a pair which just <laughs> soured the taste on him so bad. Um, and yeah, I see him bobble a bunch of pucks and like, you know, make turnovers and stuff like that. But as far as being a liability on the ice, I don't know if I'd necessarily say he'd be a liability... Uh, but he's doing what I think he needs to do. I, I mean, I, I feel like I need to watch him a little bit more, but he's definitely uh, exceeding my expectations, which are admittedly very low for him, especially for someone that's been sitting on in the press box for 40 games this year. Yeah, it, it's one of those situations when it's the bottom pairing, the less you think about them, the better they're typically doing. Uh, and... Honestly, I've had more moments over the past week where I've been like, Jackman, what are you doing? You cannot skate. Why would you pinch? Just get back and be safe. And, you know, I, I think one of, one of uh, the times that he was, that Jackman was carrying the puck ended up turning into a goal because he was out of position. They just blew past. I can't remember which team it was against. And I wonder if he feels like he's got to do a lot more now since Potato's so inexperienced, which, I mean, again, is not Potato's fault. Uh, but he had, you know, Seth Jones out there for a little bit and could leave Jones to do all of that for him. Now he doesn't have that, and he's also, you know, carrying around a rookie as well, so maybe he's thinking, I've got to do a little bit more. Uh, I don't, ho- I don't I, know. Hopefully the the coaches are saying, hey, when you're out there, your job is to, I mean, both Potato and Jack, when your job is to stay back and prevent zone entries. Mm-hmm. That's what they should be doing out there. Right. Uh, letting the other, the other guys rest up. And you touched on something I wanted to I wanted to bring lie to. Last year, this team was really good with the stretch pass just absolutely deadly with it. And this year we're not seeing that as much because the defense is trying to jump into the play a bit more. They're not doing exactly what Link says, which is preventing zone entries. I would like to see the defense play a little bit further back, especially now that the offense is a bit more sorted, and see where that happens. Because last year that was when this team was really successful. Also, what did uh, Petter Granberg do that was wrong? Because I thought he looked much better than Potato, and we haven't seen him. Yeah, I He didn't play at all know. this week. I don't really have an explanation. I mean, Potato hasn't been... I mean, Potato hasn't been exceptional. He hasn't really been noteworthy. I, I don't know if not being a disaster is ha- is is a good way to earn your ice time. Because he hasn't... I mean, he hasn't been good. He hasn't been so bad where he's been pointing at him, but we're also trying to ignore him at the same time. Right. Uh, and especially with as stacked as the Predators are with defensive options um at least for the number six role which is weird you might as well just plug and play there right how he holds on to that spot 
Yeah, and I thought that's what was going to happen. I thought that there were going to be a couple games here. Like, you put Potato in for a game or two, then you put Grantberg in for a game or two, and then you put Potato back in there and kind of see how that shakes out. But I don't know if Grandberg's maybe not doing something right in practice, if he just – there's some fundamental thing right there that the, – I mean, obviously the coaches are seeing more than we're seeing and because we only see him for one game. But I don't know. I figured that – he should have at least gotten a, a couple more starts, you know, just to kind of shake things out and see how it's going. He played the Arizona game, and I thought he looked better. Yeah. I mean, that was a tough game, too. Yeah. Now, it, it's one of those things. I, it's hard to pin down. It's got to be uh, some behind-the-scenes coaching thing, maybe. I mean, granted, I mean, you know, I, I wanted to look up and see how that has been doing over this, you know, through the course of this week. And, uh, you know, against Chicago, he, he had a uh, Corsi of 61.5, and then against Winnipeg, it was a 59 so he put in two games where he was either super super protected or he was just taking a ton of shots and uh, or he was really he was doing something. I'd have to go back and look. I'm not. I haven't done an analysis on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got a little bit of hey, he's had two really exceptional high end games. So maybe I mean maybe that's why he earns the the spot. He had two ga- good games in a row, and you just keep going with him until he screws up. Austin Watson has uh, let's see. He played the game on the 12th against Chicago. Played the game on the 8th against Colorado. Other than that, he hasn't. He's only played three games since Christmas, and oh, you gotta uh, get Cody Bass ice time. Well, I mean, I I know that we don't we don't look necessarily at the really simple simple stats, but he has been a combined minus minus seven in his last five games. Yeah, but I don't think that that's all on him because that fourth line has been atrocious for weeks. Yes, ever uh, since Colton Sisson's left, I wonder how. Well, it's amazing when you when you take out good players and put in bad players <laughs> how. How you find less success. Yeah, it's, what, it's such a strange thing to happen. When Austin Watson is skating around with two uh, half-living corpses and Paul Gostad and Eric Nystrom, I feel like he's probably going to be on the ice for some pluses I, and minuses. I'd, which like is, you, I'd like to remind you okay. Eric Nystrom has seven goals. Oh, okay. <sighs> Man, yeah. You can't explain that. I can't. Well, I mean, he... And again, to Nystrom's credit, he is at least skating where the coach wants him to skate. He's working hard. He's got a winning attitude. He, he's good in the room. He's good, he's good in, in the he's room. Good in the room. And he makes three and a half million dollars. Just three. I'll be three and a half I, for three. three and a half million dollars. Tell me which room I need to be good in, and I'll figure out how what that means. Yeah, <laughs> I could be I'll be encouraging for that much yeah. too. I can, I can, I can. I'll just go up and find like best of list for EDM and just play those and be like, I'm a DJ. I'll just, and, I'll just put on go. some TED talks too in the room. We're just, you know, that that'll be great. <laughs> um, we did have a quite a bit of questions. I want to go with Twitter on this first because Twitter brought it pretty strong today. Um, Twitter questions you can always tweet to us at onthefourcheck.com. And let's see here, what do I want to start with? I'm going to go with Zach M. Wright. And he asked a question that I'm sure that uh, I was going to ask you guys, but we'll use his his instead. Uh, your thoughts on Fiala thus far, and Kevin Fiala to me. You you can't see this people on the radio, but he's I'm giving, giving a politician thumbs style thumbs up. There I'm needs to be a, a mission up. accomplished yeah. banner behind John Garcia as he gives the thumbs up well, right there. I'll tell you my opinion as well. He's got the Bill Clinton fist. Oh man, this is great. Oh no, this is this, this, is, this was so, no, they tell fist? you they tell you they don't. Well, it's, oh. a, it's the politician thing because they did the, a, a a single pointing finger is known to be it, it appears weak whereas it, as two pointing fingers is overly aggressive and so they say if you use your kind of the thumb and like bent pointer finger it's it's really the only safe way to gesture emphatically right. without so seeing if overly you make aggressive. a fist but then you put an ink pen in it and then point the ink pen slightly forward and then remove the ink pen like that or how you use a laser pointer i use a laser pointer like this like i'm actually drawing that's weird 
Well, I'm more credit to you. I, What was I talking about? Kevin Fiala? Kevin right? Fiala, yeah, right? that kid. Yeah. Uh, I think I already said it at, at the start of the show. Uh, he's just exciting to watch. He's so much fun. He's tenacious. He's vicious. He's other words that end with ush. Delicious. He back-checked against Minnesota. <laughs> and it was awesome. Gorgeous. It yeah. looks so good. Yeah, and this is the first time that we've seen him for more than a couple of games because he was only up for, what, one game last year and then a game in the playoffs where he only played 12 minutes and play 3 OT. Yeah, and it was inexplicable, I, I guess, that Lavi just didn't want uh, you know, a rookie kid who's only played two games in a uh, long overtime game. But, yeah, this is the first time we're seeing him. And, I mean, he's skating hard. He's uh, getting shots off. Uh, he's getting opportunities. I don't know what more that you want from a 19-year-old who's playing, playing on the top line. He's playing with bigger players, which is opening up a lot of space for him, mm-hmm. where he can essentially just orbit around them. I mean, Johansson got the big body center. Johansson, the, the, the takes, body Johansson center. and Neil require so much attention to defend them on the ice. And to have Fiala just who can... Johansson, you were talking about earlier, can slow the game down. I forget what, who said that. Was it one of you guys? Might have been you, Dan. Give no, yourself credit for that. that one. Say, why well, wasn't me? But he's he's got a very good point with this. Where Ribeiro also likes to slow the game down as well, but Johansson can do it and hold on to the puck, and even when he's being heavily defended. Whereas Ribeiro, everyone's just going to take a step back. All right, he's going to pass it somewhere. Wow. So that that's his game. Johansson's also a much better skater. He Johansson's a much better skater. He's much younger, and he could just he can plow over people. So to have that have him open up that kind of space for Fiala, which in turn just creates a lot of, of shooting lanes for James Neal. That's a very good top line. Yeah, and especially too because there's no book on Fiala right now. No. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think that Forsberg had that awesome start to the season, just because no one knew, you know, about his uh, his wrist shot and how good of a shot he can be. Um, and can we talk for a second real quick about uh, Forsberg's uh, incredible moves? His ankle breaking? Yeah, like like literally a wild player fell down trying to, trying double, to uh, adjust to that. It was a double that. ankle break. Yeah. Because he, he got up and did the exact same thing to the exact same player. Yeah, with Jonas Brodeen. Twice. He did it I twice. mean, a very good defenseman, a guy who was being dangled for Ryan Johansson at one point. And he, they just he just danced around him twice, and they, he just Bernie just goes sprawling, like cannot if, keep if up. If someone can like uh, can do some audio editing, I think I may do it when I get home of like the announcer from the And One Mixtape Tour. <laughs> oh, sick with it! And just you know where he's humiliating a fool on the ice. I just wanted to go out there on the ice with a megaphone and just start you know hollering. It was great. But Kevin Fiala, great. Uh, he's done everything that's been asked of him. He fits right at home. We're going to circle back around to Kevin Fiala because I have a feeling he's going to show up quite a bit in these. Um, let's see what else we have here. Got some good ones. Uh, Zach Allen writes in, thoughts on going with the Dallas model of two goalies next year with, quote, a Frederick Anderson type. Frederick Anderson, goaltender for the Anaheim Ducks. He was uh, kind of brought along at a slow pace, but he's now splitting time with, uh, I think, John Gibson as well. Not a bad setup that they have there. We're seeing other. We're seeing Dallas do it. We're seeing Anaheim do it. We've seen the Blues do it for a couple of years now. Um, what are your thoughts on that being a kind of a new model? I, I think you have to establish it culturally, mm-hmm. and uh, the Predators have an advantage right now with that. I mean, they also have a big disadvantage. The advantage is you have Carter Hutton, who's going to be coming off the payroll, presumably. Knock uh, on all the wood. Yeah, well, there's plenty of wood. Just pick something around you. Um, and then, unfortunately, the, the downside, of course, you, you have Peck's contract, which you can't do anything with. But what you do have down in the AHL is UC Soros and Merrick Masnick, who, since they're AHL goaltenders, they're young, they're used to splitting a lot of ice time because that's what you have to do in the AHL. The schedule demands it. So you could find yourself in a position where you bring those guys up. They're not indoctored in the NHL. They are also both European players, so they're not indoctrinated in the, the U.S. style of doing things. 
And all of a sudden, they may be more comfortable culturally, mentally, just splitting time. Because one of the big issues, if you talk to uh, any you know, you know, blues media, blues fans, is that they talk about there's a mental toll on Allen and and Elliot. Elliot, thank you. I was gonna get, I was getting there, but I wasn't quite there. Thank you, John. Just think about it like it's just like the ultimate well, bro yeah. country duo. You well, know, like it's a tour because well, they want to be starters. I mean, Allen, you know, is clearly the better keeper of the two, and he's still not the starter. And you know, Hitchcock won't call him the starter. And so you imagine his mental toll because that's the idea is you want to be, when you're coming up, you're getting drafted, you want to be a starting number one keeper on an NHL team. That's the dream. And they're being denied that, essentially. So you have to, you know, maybe it works well better in, in Anaheim, you have younger guys or you have players who are brought up in different systems. So I think the Predators may have the opportunity to pursue something like that. But they have to manage the Pekka contract because I don't think Pekka's going to be too interested in that. Yeah, and maybe if you don't even split it like 50-50, maybe if you do it more along the lines of like some of the other teams do where um, a goalie is going to get, you know, or like a backup goalie is going to get 30, 35 starts. I mean, if you spread that out over the course of a year, I mean, that's a pretty good chunk of change for the and gets uh, the main starter off there. Because, I mean, the thing with Pekka is that, I mean, he's used to starting a ton of games. He's just used to it. I mean, he played what, 70 games at one point a couple years ago? He can't do that anymore. I mean, just, I mean, if you want to wear him down, and obviously he's not doing so well right now, that there's just no way that he can play that. But if you cut him back to 50 games, you know, 55, maybe a little bit less than that, I, I think that would work, and you maybe don't have to go with the Dallas model of games. Every other game, or, you know, someone's going to start two, and then the next person's going to start two. Take a look at Roberto Luongo right now, who's got a few years on Pekka, but he's something that he's always had is a at least a backup that a coach trusts. Uh, he had Corey Schneider in, in Vancouver. He's got Al Montoya, who's a pretty good backup goaltender in, uh, in Florida. I mean, Montoya sent the, sent the um, Islanders on a run where they nearly made the playoffs one year. Al Montoya, not a bad goaltender. Not uh, yeah, great. He, he's, he's, he's one of the template career, you know, backup good career goaltender. backup goaltenders, like a Marty Baron type guy. So, I mean, I, I like your idea with the uh, with the two European goaltenders that we that they have in, um, in Milwaukee. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um no, you pull up at the same time, and all of a sudden, what's who's who's backstopping Milwaukee? Right. Even if you well, did, even if you do that next year, who cares? Yeah. Well, they've they've That's got a, a couple point. of goaltenders in the system, but we'll move on from that. Yeah, we're going to circle back around. I have a feeling we're going to come back to that one as well. Uh, let's see come here. Back, check, Chet Pickard. Blake. Come back. Um, <laughs> no, I think we're good. Uh, Blake uh, at at Chet and my Kirk on Twitter writes in donuts or bagels. Uh, this is easy. Um, it, it it's donuts for a couple of reasons. And the biggest reason is that you will not believe the number of carbs and calories in a bagel. It makes it not worth it, and I'd much rather have the donut in the end. Oh, I do not care about that. See, I, I, it's definitely a mood thing for me. Most of the time, I'm pro- probably going to want a bagel with some good schmear on it because I just don't like doing sugar in the mornings, which is the prime time to have a donut. But then there are some days where you get into the office and you know there are bagels there and there are donuts there that someone brought in. I'm gonna go for the donut. I also, I, I mean, I have a Shipley's up the street, so I, I automatically have to go with the donut. Go donut. I had Shipley's this morning, actually. I had a kolache with a couple other donuts. When I lived in Murfreesboro, I was right at the end of the road from Donut Country, and you know, Western Kentucky, they have Gads, yeah. Great American Donuts. Uh, I'm a bagel guy in the morning. Uh, Costco has the Einstein Brothers bagels there, and I can get like the Parmesan cheese bagel, which is like the hidden gem of the bagel world. It's a major that. Between Einstein bagels, which we had in the photo um, building in school, and 
uh, Gad's, Great American Donut Shop. Those two places saved my life when I was in college because I would go get 3 a.m., 4 a.m. donuts uh, while I was working on all-nighters, and then about 8 o'clock in the morning when I was finishing up my work, go get a bagel. Hmm. Jalapeno cheese bagel with uh, salmon schmear. Ooh. Wait, salmon? Schmier? Yeah, they had some sh- salmon schmear. Uh, they had a jalapeno cheddar schmear as well, but that was too much with the cheddar yeah, uh, I jalapeno. Yeah, so. I would think that's too much. Um, but I also would do a blueberry bagel with strawberry schmear, which is really good. Too much fruit mm. on a bagel. Kelsey writes in, any more trade prospects? Well, we've heard a little bit of rumblings about the Predators being interested in Jonathan Drouin. I don't think Drouin comes here for, because, number one, I think they like what they have with Fiala. I think that if Fiala had came up here and just... I mean, it's still maybe too early to say that, but I think Fiala fits what the Predators want him to do, and that just be kind of a wild card in a lineup with a template one center, template you know top line winger. He can be that guy. I think Duran is kind of a bit more of a playmaker. He's got a bit, he's got a little bit of a pariah to him. Not saying that Fiala is a perfect angel, or especially he wasn't in Milwaukee with his you know <laughs> salute to the Lake Erie Monsters. But I think there's so many teams interested in Jonathan Duran that you're going to see some crazy bidding at some point. Well, also, I didn't really hear a lot of rumors about the Preds being in on Jonathan Druin until David Poyle was on SiriusXM and admitted that he made a call to him. And that's all he said. He said, I made a call to inquire. And they asked him, you know, well, what's the price and everything? And I was like, I, I couldn't tell you. And then all of a sudden it's like, the Preds are in on Jonathan Druin. It's like, no, he made a call to inquire about it because that is his job as a general yeah, it's manager. It's like saying you did your homework as a college student. Right. Do you, do you want a pat on the head? You did it. Right. right. It, would be, it would be more newsworthy if he didn't make a call to it. And he was very reluctant to say that, I think, because of that, like, oh, the Preds are in on Jonathan Druin. Well, we don't know that for a fact. Well, if anything, I'd have it, you would tell people that because it's going to drive the price up because the Predators do have a lot of prospects that are kind of A, B, A, B level, you know, prospects in the lower leagues. If anything, you've let your opposition, yeah, sure, we're in on it. Oh, snap, Preds are in. You know, I, I, Let's get in on that. I, I also <laughs> think Poyle is too mild to go up to be on that call and, and be snarky and say, yeah, I called him and... 20 other guys called him too. Right. Like everyone called the Iserman. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I think I threw, I, I talked to this a little bit, um, you know, off the show about, you know, these, these gems, they're not like in castles flinging, you know, flaming balls of tar at each other. They talk, they meet with each other. I mean, these guys are not isolated. They, right. There may be politics between them, but they're probably the buddies. So great. <laughs> I mean, they're probably absolutely. Well, just, let's, uh, Jeremy Jacobs might actually fit that mold, but all the other ones. Yeah, I mean these guys communicate. They talk on a regular basis. They probably have dinner when they're when they're visiting either each other's cities. Just imagining Brian Burke, like the moment he sees like Peter Shirelli coming close, you know, <laughs> ready to you, should, you should see the NHL GM paintball retreat. It's brutal. People uh, die, mostly interns. <laughs> Gattaca. They seem more like airsoft guys to me. All right, uh, let's see. Chris writes in: Any reason to believe Fiala and Johansson? on the same line is temporary or could it go season long assuming Fiala stays in the NHL? I mean, if, if it clicks, yeah, it'll it'll keep together. I mean, who knows? I mean, uh, coaches love shuffling lines. It's their favorite thing to do in the entire world. Maybe after Stanley Cup, you know, winning Stanley Cups. It goes winning Stanley Cups, shuffling lines, and for Lavula, I think it goes Turtles and then something hockey-related. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, Martin Pedersen, one of our favorite listeners, the guy is actually from Sweden, so he's a big help from us in that category. Right. He writes in, what will happen to Kelly Yarncroke now that Johansson took a center spot away from him? And um, I'll 
start this one. Uh, Callie Yarncrook, I believe, is going to be right at home as kind of a defensive line winger for to start with. I think eventually he does take a center spot away because Mike Ribeiro, Mike Fisher, are they going to play beyond next season? We don't know. Are they going to play in Nashville? We, I don't know. But I, I hope Ribeiro's not playing in Nashville in, in two years. Yeah, his production slowed down a little bit. He's still a dangerous guy, but you're, you, you know, he... He's taking a step back this year. He's going to take another step back this year. That's what happens. We all get older. It happens to everybody. Same with Mike Fisher. Um, I think he's right at home. I think he would be a good winger for. Um, I think he's going to be a good winger for Mike Fisher when this lineup gets fully healthy again. Yeah, I think Yarncroke, in the current setup and the way things are developing, is hopefully realizing he has to, he has to adapt his game in a different way, uh, and. I don't think we've seen that yet because I don't I don't know he, he quite gets where he's supposed to sit. I mean, we don't quite get where he's supposed to sit, Mm-mm. and that makes it really difficult to contribute. Uh, he, he certainly works hard, but that's eventually that's not going to be enough. So I, I believe he has to redefine his role in the ice or he's going to find himself maybe uh, you know being shipped off for, for something. Yeah, it's also tough, too, because exactly what you pointed out is that you know he's going from wing to center to wing to center to wing to, and like uh, first line, second line, third line, first line, third line, second, like all over the place. And then you look at some of the people that he's been playing with, like Hodgson, uh, Wilson, Smith, uh, Arvidsson. So oh, like, yeah, like all of the all these people who are uh, underachieving. And I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Like, are are they underachieving? Is that part of Cali Arncroak? Is he kind of responsible for that, or is it just the other way around? I mean, yeah, and sometimes, sometimes you find yourself having to trade an asset to help them succeed somewhere else. And I mean, that is, I mean, what we're talking about Yarncroke is a is a much smaller version of what happened with Johansson and Jones, where Jones now has the opportunity to go and establish himself somewhere where he wouldn't have been able to in Nashville. Um, way too early for that. He has an opportunity to. I said he has an opportunity to establish yeah. himself. Yeah, his opportunity to establish himself. It's way too early just to, to say that, no, he's not going to become something here. I mean, I think that if after... Wait. You sounded like that you're saying no, well, it's going to become... No, spot away. he couldn't take a spot away from Jones or Weber. Or no, Jones. no. No, take a step back on your croak here. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just like, if, if, it's, if, if we find... You know, he, he continues to get Johnson around. He continues to kind of put with the, with the cleanup guys, the guys who are not being productive and getting rolled down to the third line. And so his his role is sort of third-line babysitter. That's not a great place for him to be to develop as a player and, and contribute. I mean, what if he, what if he, his ceiling is Marcus Kruger? If he, he, he becomes like a good, solid, lower-line center, you can roll out there against another team's uh, second line or first line and know they'll, they yeah, they're not going to embarrass you on the ice. Then he needs to be given that role right now he has to he has to define that for himself he has to find a way to adapt his game to find that so yeah i mean i'm talking like five moves ahead yeah um it was so far ahead i was like really what? yeah no <laughs> I, i'm talking I'm, I'm talking five moves ahead because ultimately i always you know when it comes to players i i want to see them reach a poten- reach their potential and find out what's best for them and, and i kind of look at who's developing in nash who's developing in milwaukee who's who's being drafted you know, with with Johansson being brought on board, and I wonder, it's like, okay, what is how does Yarncroak fit in all this? And I don't see him fitting clearly anywhere right now, so he has to do something about that as a person. Got it with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, any last other things here going on? Oh, the Stephen Elliott trade. Um, oh yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that was our reaction to it as well. <laughs> he also made a trade with the Senators as well. Uh, they added a um, 
Kind of Patrick the, Mullen. You, I, you, Patrick I, didn't even, Mullen. I, I did not realize that trade happened until the uh, the, the Stephen Elliott one was announced. I'm like, when did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it was I, just kind of an afterthought on our links one day. Like, well, oh yeah, they did this. Yeah, and I I felt that it was also more of like a minor league trade. Uh, I didn't. I don't yeah. think that. Well, Mullen would be more, whereas Elliot, I mean, he's played in the NHL. Um, so I got the scouting report for him because I admittedly did not know a whole lot about Stefan Elliott when he got traded here. Um, so he was drafted and played for Colorado for a bit. And my girlfriend used to live in Denver, used to watch the Avs all the time. Uh, she was saying that he was brought up about the same time as Tyson Berry was. Uh, but Barry got a little bit more of the minutes and a little bit more of the, um, uh, I guess, like the push out there to do what he can do. Uh, but apparently the scouting report from her is that Stephen Elliott is a lot of fun to watch in the offensive zone. He's not the best defensive player, but he's not a liability out in the ice. Um, and he's uh, just a good puck-moving defenseman, which is exactly what could be used next to Jackman. Or he could he could literally it, 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 from way you're describing him he could also just be like we swapped the Victor Bartley for another Victor Bartley on the ice or a right handed Victor Bartley because for years this team knew what they had with Shea Weber they knew what they had with Ryan Ellis and Seth Jones fell in their lap a couple of years ago so they've mm-hmm. been drafting primarily left handed defensemen to go with them I don't think this org- I think this organization would like what they had with Matthias Ekholm but I think Matthias Ekholm has been a very pleasant surprise given how good he's become over mm-hmm. a very short amount of time. So now you have Roman Yossi, who also, I think, kind of presently surprised them as well, because they thought Jonathan Blum was going to be a pretty good guy. First-round pick Jonathan Blum? First-round pick Jonathan Blum, a guy that you don't even want to look up what they traded to get the draft pick to take Jonathan Blum. It will make you cry. So knowing the organizational depth there, they threw a lot of picks at left-handed defensemen for a long time. And now now the left side's settled. They got Jackman there for a couple of years. Uh, I think they like what they have behind Yossi and Ekholm. Ekholm's going to be here for a while. Yossi's going to be here for a while. So now we're finally starting to see the side, them balance out left or right-handed defensemen at a long, long time. So, all right. Um, on that note, we're going to go ahead and take our break. Uh, coming back, we got the uh, Comet side of it. We got some mild NHL news, including the civil war between the NHL and its fans regarding the powder keg that is John Scott. That'll be fun. All right. Also, a deeper look inside the penalty kill. What defines a successful penalty killer? And five tough questions. This is the Predcast brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lion Zone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. 
back in. Uh, one Twitter question I did miss because she actually asked it the day before. Uh, do you think we are done trading or do you think there is one shocking one that's going to happen as we attempt to push or uh, that's where her question ends. Mine is, is going to kind of pick up where it leaves from there. Do you think that they're going to, is it, I mean, other than just they've addressed their, their right-handed defenseman depth. They have enough depth defensemen that if, God forbid, someone does get hurt, then they have someone they can plug in immediately. They don't feel the need to make a trade. But other than making a backup goaltending move, do you think they're going to hold a spot that way so they can say, hey, Jimmy Vesey, um, yeah, uh, do you, do you want to come play with us this year? The only trades I want to see at this point are ways to clear out some of the chaff in the bottom six. Because I think everywhere else they're fine right now. I mean, goaltending is an issue, but you've just got a bit of a mess in the bottom six. Yeah, I'm. I kind of go back and forth on it, just because I almost have this weird, just kind of hunch that David Poyle isn't done making moves. But I mean, you guys just address it. There's not really a whole lot out there that he can do. So maybe he's looking just to see if anything else comes available. But if he doesn't do anything the rest of the season, I don't think anyone's going to be upset. Especially again, because you said that they're looking to get in Jimmy VC. And that's something that they can easily say, okay, Salamaki, get off the team right now so that VC can get on here. Like, they'll push him out the plane I don't plane think it'll be Salamaki, but... I mean, Watson or well, Bass could be sent back down. Well, I mean, yeah. There's there's tons of options. I think Watson would actually clear yeah, waivers think, at this point, bless his heart. But yeah, but. I think... I mean, the Elliott thing is, it was an aberration. The Stefan Elliott trade was just an aberration of necessity and convenience. Um, so, I mean, that's... I, I think people kind of took that the wrong way. Um, to a degree, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later anyways. Maybe, maybe. I uh, got some quick ones from the uh, from the comment section. Some pretty good ones. And these were unsolicited, too. I was really impressed. Uh, Bferish05 writes in, In honor of the Johansson Rickroll, which if you were out there at the arena last night, they're playing the Rick Astley, uh, you know, never going to give you up. And Johansson's just sitting there just, you know, jamming there on the bench. In honor of the Johansson Rickroll, what would each player's walkout song be? Choose as many as you like. We've talked about this a little bit before. I think you had it was like, uh, I mean, I think no, we think we did goal songs before because you said Colin Wilson's would be Mambo Number Five. Uh, no, no, uh, Kevin Harris, one of our listeners, said that. Yeah, I, I apologize. Not, not we that, so messed around, and I actually spliced in with the Nashville goal horn, um, and then cut it for songs after that with like crowd behind it. I've showed you some of them. Yeah. Uh, I haven't actually put them up there because I'm not entirely 100% sure that that is not infringing on copyright. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty but... sure it is and I don't want to get in trouble for it and it's a little more than just like, here's the video link because the way I did it, it just makes it sound so great. Um, James Neal, we've talked about this. It's Hair of the Dog Hair by of the Nazareth. Dog by Nazareth. Um, with uh, Shea Wepper, Bombs Away by... Uh, Foxy Shazam is perfect. Um, Roman Yossi, I think we talked about this, is What a Man. Ooh, I think that that yeah. would be just, That's perfect. Just, like, perfect. What was Craig Smith then? Because Craig Smith, we, we put in like, kind of like that same category. Yeah. Um, it was something by The Hives, I think. Uh, I hate to say I told you so. Yeah. By, by The Hives. Forsberg was what, Jesus Christ Superstar? That was Mike Fisher. That was Mike Fisher, yeah, yeah. that's right. I don't think we got one for Forsberg. <laughs> no. He was a little bit of a anomaly. We love anomaly. him too much, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's let's go ahead and come up there here. Uh, Mario writes in, let's see here. I thought the third pair was pretty passable against Minnesota. Do you guys agree? Potato starts settling in, which we, we agreed with that. I think the third pair is, is somewhat passable right now. Um, 
nothing really more to add on that one. Uh, Ferris writes in again, and this is a fun one. Pre-game, post-game ritual. When is, it, when is attending as a fan only? He says that his is he goes to merchants, and then, and then he goes to the Renaissance Bridge Bar, which is a really underrated little nightlife spot. It's a the bridge going over. I think it's Commerce Street. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool little place. Uh, my personal one, and this is when I this was when I was attending back in the um, early 2010s. I would go to Paradise Park, and I would no joke drink a pitcher of PBR. I wouldn't even ask for glasses. I would just drink it straight out of the pitcher. And um, yeah, and a related story, I can't drink beer anymore. Um, I wonder why. <laughs> but now anymore, anymore, I'll just go to brew house and have a Texas melt. I don't really have a defined pregame like I used to have. Um, no, we used to go to Flying Saucer a bunch uh, last year, but I mean, I haven't attended very many games this year, and most of the time, if it is, it's I'm leaving after work to do something. I, I haven't had any anything that I would even say close to ritual since I moved up to Nashville. Um, and the only reason I, I, I could call the, rit- it the thing a ritual anyways is because when you are when you and a friend are driving up two and a half hours 20 times a year to watch hockey, you tend to fall into patterns. Uh, and that's about the only thing. There was just an exit. I cannot even remember the name of the exit, but it was like one of those fireworks exits. But it had a bunch of like yeah. trashy fast food restaurants. And we just stop at one of those and just eat there and then drive the rest of the way up. My post game anymore. I'll do a I do a little bit of a crawl sometimes if it's after a big game. If it's on a Saturday night. I'll crawl kind of on like the the um, I guess it would be the east side of Broadway. I'd go that way. Um, I really like bar lines though. Bar lines at uh, in the Omni Hotel is amazing. You're gonna pay, but it's amazing. Uh, say your head coach Peter Laviolette. How much rest do you give Rene, and how many games will he actually start the rest of the year? Uh, this is um, this is a question from Titans, Preds, Grizzbulls. I think his name is George. He's on Twitter as well. Um, let's put it, I mean, if you're going to put an estimate on the remaining games of the year for Pecorine, there's what, like 40, 38 games remaining, somewhere right around there? How, so how many do we want him to play, or how many is he going to play? How about how many is he going to play? They've played 44 games. I'd probably say between 20 and 25. You think it's going to be closer to half? Wow. The, the way things are going right now, unless... Um, something happens to where Laviolette starts surprising us like he did last night and put Hutton in when the, I mean, no logical explanation. It's like, Rene's going to start. Well, I think that, the logical explanation how, was that your starting goalkeeper has been awful for a very long time this season. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. The way that things have been going this season, I would expect him to do 20 to 25. I hope that that doesn't happen, though. I hope I'm wrong. No. The, the way I'm, I'd like to see if I was kind of in a coach's role, it makes it hard to predict how many games that I would see Pekka play because I would want to treat the rest of January as though Hutton were the starting goaltender. So just switch roles for the rest of the month of January. Just see what happens. Uh, Let Pekka rest. See if Hutton can string together some success and doesn't kind of end up in his normal Hutton space and see what happens. And that was a question I think that we may have gotten last night on Twitter, and I don't. I, I apologize if uh, this is getting ahead, if there are any more, uh, but someone asked, so what do you do on Tuesday? Do you put Hutton in and let him play, or do you put Rene back in there? And I almost want to agree with you on that, but I feel like you almost, as of right now, just kind of have to go back to Rene real quick and see how he does, and then if he puts up another stinker like he's done before, it's Hutton's way to roll with it. Or you could run the hot hand say, hey, Hutton won last time. 
get him right back in there. I, I'd say play Hutton because you're playing Chicago. And I'd be fine with that. I mean, because I'm, I'm a big fan of, of playing a little bit of a mind game, whereas you don't want to feel like a, you don't want to feel like the other team knows that you've given them your best shot. That's a little psychological thing there for you. So you can go back in the locker room and say, "Hey guys, you know we," and just be honest. You know we played our backup goaltender of the night, and uh, yeah, we we gave it the best we had. If that's if you lose, but if you win. That's a nice little emotional nugget to take with you. Here's one thing we have to consider. The Predators are on national TV Tuesday night against the Blackhawks. They're on NBC Sports Network. Okay. Does that play I mean, does that play into how you want to present your team? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. No. It well, we say shouldn't, but this is the NHL. They do a lot of things that shouldn't. No, I mean I Yeah, I mean I guess from and this goes just knowing the organization and how much they love marketing their players um i would not be surprised but i mean i've seen national broadcasts where it's like well we thought that you know lundquist was going to get to start tonight but starting in goal for yeah. the rangers is uh marty baron and he's got a good record tonight he'll be going up against um who was the bruins backup that he played this is a couple years ago Bruin, so bruins black uh, backup uh yeah. svedberg yeah svedberg uh, uh hobby bullen also played with them i think for a while. Uh, I think no, 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 not Hobby Bullen. Um, Kudobin. Kudobin, that's I think this it. is yeah. pre-Kudobin. No, okay. Because I don't think Buran and, and Kudobin ever shared ice. No. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Fedberg because I believe he was the backup when I saw them uh, in the playoffs, and that was 2012. So, Yeah, I, I don't think this ain't... This, no one's, I mean, let's be honest. No one outside of Nashville is going to be tuning in to see Pecorine play against the Blackhawks. They're tuning in to see the Blackhawks play against the Predators. I'm okay They're seeing the Blackhawks to play against any team. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's kind of reality with it. So whatever gives you the best chance to win, and right now I think a goaltender that's not trying to do too much, a goaltender that knows to stay in the blue ice, and a goaltender that's positioning is much better, and right now that's Carter Hutton. That's sad, but that's the reality. Yeah, that's who, who would have thought that we'd be saying that three years ago? Let's not even, not even go down that road. <laughs> Uh, NHL news, uh, right now the Chicago Blackhawks are leading the division. The Dallas Stars have... Uh, I wouldn't say a bit of a slump, but they've kind of got a little bit of a lull, have they not? Well, yes. It's not like they're doing terrible, but I think that they're falling back to earth kind of like we expect. And, I mean, they weren't going to go on a crazy, long, you know, 120-point pace all year. But what I think is crazy is that the Blackhawks had to go on a 10-game winning streak just to catch them and then go over them. I mean, that is insane. Yeah, I mean, the the stuff of the last 10 games, dur- during that 10-game winning streak, the Stars have lost their last three. They're 3-5-2 three, and two in their last 10. Uh, the rest of the Central's been pretty stagnant. I mean, the Blues went 4-3-3, four, three, and three, as Link says, as is tradition. The Wild and the Predators both went 3-5-2, and two, and the Avs and Jets both went 5-4-1. Four, uh, four, and one. So it's a whole lot of meh in the last 10 games. Chicago has strike while the iron's hot. They've only allowed 108 goals, which is... Almost as good as the Wild, which the Kings right now have now only allowed 97 for keeping score at home. Um, and three of those came, no, four of those came last night. They yeah. scored a few rules in the Predators, so you know it's fun to watch the Kings play hockey. Yeah. I like the Kings. I know you like the Kings. I'm not trying to hurt no. you. <laughs> I don't want to hurt you. They, <clears throat> looking at, let's see here. Right now the Capitals, the class of the NHL. The class of the NHL? Yeah, as in like they're the best team in the NHL and it's not really up for debate. Up for not who's right, play, or not who's right now. Who's playing the best right now? The Caps right now have, uh, they're 7-1 seven, seven their last 10. They've only allowed, or they've only allowed 95 goals. They've only been beaten in regulation eight times. Look at their point totals 
with against the division, they have games in hand, and I believe that they're 14 points up on the New York Rangers, who are in second place. 15. Um, and that it, it's four to two in the third period right now. Uh, Capitals versus Rangers. Capitals winning that game, so they could go 17 points ahead of them right now. The Capitals have only lost, what, eight regulation games so yeah, far this season? eight regulation games. And, and they scored 144, which is second most in the league. And this is a, a league where Columbus lost their first eight regulation games. By comparison, the Capitals have only scored two fewer goals than the Columbus Blue Jackets have allowed this year. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, watching, <laughs> and, I'm trying to like soak in all of this because this has just been one of the most fun seasons that I've watched for him. And most of the time on any given night, it's incredible. Like, because they're not like super high flying. They're not like uh, suffocating defensively. They're just very methodical with what they do. And from going from a couple years ago where one goal, bad goal against would start getting them and start uh, throwing their axes off and they would start chasing the puck and doing all these bad things. It's weird to see them just be so calm out there on the ice. And I think that has to do a lot with the way that they know that Brayden Holtby is going to bail them out of a lot of uh, bad situations, but also the fact that they've got some great leadership in there and just, Trotz being a great coach, like I think we knew he could do in Nashville, and now he's got the pieces to do that. Trotz is a very good man manager, and I think having this many interchangeable pieces on that roster, that's a good fit for him. We also look at how close they are. I mean, one of the things about when Ovechkin scored his 500th goal, that was a team decision to jump over the bench. And like Brian McClellan called the NHL to see, will we get a penalty if we do this? He told Barry Trotz, who told everyone else, Ovechkin didn't know that they were going to do that. It was everyone on the team except for him, which I think you can just see how close that team is. I'm done gushing about the Capitals now. I, I think you're right to gush about the Capitals. Uh, I mean, the, the big test for them, because I mean, they've been dominant in, in the East, obviously. They've just been crushing everybody. And they've even been really, really strong like, playing against uh, Western Conference teams. They haven't played a ton of, of Central teams. They've, I think they've played seven against the Pacific Division, and they've played five against the Central. Yeah, they, they've... Crushed the Blackhawks early on in the season. Yeah. Uh, they got beaten very bad. Or not very bad, but uh, they had a bad Jason Shamara turnover to beat the Stars. Or they lost against the Stars. But other than that... Yeah, and they, I think they've got a number of games still to play against the Central. And that's gonna, that could be a grind for them. And that could really be a definitive thing. Because they're they're probably going to face a team for the Central. If they make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, they're probably going to face a team for the Central. And you want to see how they stack up against those elite central division teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that'll, that'll be really be telling because they haven't played them a ton. And they, I mean, that means they've got kind of a rough spring ahead of them, like late winter, early spring ahead of them. Quick notes about the um, rest of the Eastern conference, the Panthers leading their division by four points. <laughs> the uh, lightning are on a four game winning streak, finally getting healthy. Got They're Tyler back Johnson the back now. Uh, Vladislav, uh, Vladislav Domestikov. It's a very, it's a name you're going to love to know before too long. Uh, kind of been like the missing link. He's kind of like that hybrid center wing guy that plays really well with Stamkos. A little bit better than Valtteri Filippola. So a lot of balance now in Tampa's setup. The Canadians are now in fifth in that division. Tied with the Lightning. Not a great look. Uh, Carey Price get well soon. Which is funny because Boomer Gordon brought this up, uh, I think, Friday or Thursday, where at the beginning of this season, everyone uh, in in Montreal and fans are saying, see, this this team is not just Carey Price. Like, they're actually scoring, they're getting the depth, all this other stuff. And now that Carey Price is like, oh, God, we need Carey Price back. Like, right now. They have gave Carey Price, P.K. Subban, and Max Pacioretty. That's, that's, I mean, who else is on that team? I couldn't even tell you. Uh, Thomas Placanich. 
Sure. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk, uh, Brandon Gallagher. So a lot of kids who, well, I mean, not obviously not Plakanic. Plakanic is not obviously not him. You know, Gene. but Andre Barkov is only twenty-four years old. But they've got guys. They've got a lot of. They've got a future. But right now, they're a little too dependent on on, on too few players. Yeah, Pekanich only has one goal for the month. Of, actually, December. He had one goal and three assists for the entire month of December. Is he, is he, he had, a lot of turtlenecks? Yeah, he's a turtleneck gangster. Turtle, turtle, yeah. yeah. He had, uh, by comparison, he had 12 both in October and November. Pardon, he had 12 in October. And yeah, it just, you know, him getting, him getting a... Yeah, his production just took an absolute step back. They've only won. Wow, they've only won three games since December fifteenth. Yeah, one of those was the Winter Classic. Wow, they're not doing well. The dominant, dominant. They've only the, won four games since the beginning of December. The Burns are incapable of playing well against the no. Canadians because they, they just want to fight them. Yeah, they they just see when they see the Rouge, they just want to fight them. <laughs> that's the only that's Bruin smash, and that's the only reaction that they that's have. Pretty funny. I love seeing that. I uh, hate the Bruins. One last bit of NHL news, and it's been the real hot-button issue across the league, is the issue of one John Scott. John Scott was an accessory in the trade that involved the Arizona Coyotes, Montreal Canadiens, the Predators. John Scott, the captain of the Pacific Division, no longer in the Pacific Division. Therefore, likely— No longer in the NHL. No longer in the NHL because he's sent down to the St. John's Ice Caps. And the Canadians were very clear they were had no intent of recalling him. So where do we come out on this? Do you believe that somehow the NHL didn't want this guy as part of the All Star Game, and they well, absolutely. We, we, I, I mean, do. we know. I mean, well, I think you were, you were going to finish that by saying they manufactured this, right? Is that how? I, maybe it was a throw in piece, maybe to get him off the books. I mean, Montreal can they know they can afford him, they can bury his contract and whatever. But yeah, you had you, when you follow like the the sequence of events, you know, you you read where they asked him, "Hey, would you show up and not play?" And then they said, would you actually just literally withdraw and not play? And, they, I mean, they tried. They just tried to basically bully him off. And uh, you know, credit to John Scott. I mean, he's uh, kind of a, a – he's obviously a bad player. He's got a history of disciplinary issues. So there's not there's nothing redeemable about him on ice. Um, off ice, you know, that's a whole different story. So I won't even address that. But, you know, he, he – Took a stand and said I was voted in. Granted, at the first it was awful, and I didn't, you know, I didn't like the attention because it was bad attention. But mm. I can make a statement with this. I can, I can say something. I can do some some good in his eyes. And he decided to take a stand, and I res- I really admire and respect that. And the NHL uh, was not excited about that whatsoever. Well, it was also his uh, his family that really, I think, pressed him in that, like his wife and his kids. I remember they said, he, there was an interview with Puck Daddy where he's like, his family said, you have to do this. Like, don't even, don't worry about like what people are saying about you. Don't worry about if they're laughing at you rather than with you. Like, this is a chance to do something that you're really never would have gotten to do otherwise. And you can take your kids there and um, have a good time and all this other stuff. So... Um, yeah, and something that I brought up on uh, Friday because it was convenient that they did it on 5 p.m. Eastern time on a Friday, which is historically done to dump the bad PR news. Um, this is just a total tinfoil hat moment, but I mean, David Poyle was on the record uh, a couple months ago saying that it would be a, quote, unfortunate, end quote, situation if John Scott were to play in the All-Star game because, you know, they're trying to hose, they're trying to make it all this, you know, big big to do and who's involved in this trade that supposedly took months to put together is David Poyle now I I, I think that 
that's where you get a bit of a false flag because I think the reason they talked about the deal being so difficult is because you had to to make something work. I mean, Tendori from Montreal isn't really a bad player. He's a first-round draft he's, pick. He's, I think he's definitely got more upside than Victor Bartley, who ended up going one for one, or almost one for one in the opposite direction. So somehow you're sending a decent prospect-type player to Arizona for a really a historically poor defenseman and a non-impact player in John Scott. And then you needed to somehow get Victor Bartley f- to do that. Why not just send Elliot for Tendori and just be done with it? Right. I mean, I don't. Right-handed versus left-handed. Yeah. Is is that the extent of it? I guess. I mean, are they? uh, Yeah. The whole thing is is wrapped up. It's all very suspect. Um. I mean, the the timing couldn't have been worse for the NHL. Could have been worse for Scott either. He's expecting twins and now has to move from the from the Valley of the Sun to freaking Newfoundland. Yeah. Well, I mean, granted. the the most unfortunate part is historically for situations like this, the guy who's get traded lives in a hotel room or an apartment for the rest of the season. His family stays wherever they're at. Tip, that's typically how it yeah. tends to go. And so, I mean, that's just separating him from his family. Also, also uh, the Coyotes right now are in the playoff race. I mean, whether or not they stay there, we don't know. Half, I mean, they're a great story right now. They have plenty of potential on this team. Why would you do something that is a very I mean, this doesn't look great on Don Maloney either, does because it? they want Max Domi, Shane Doan, or Oliver Ekman Larson in to showcase their talent rather than John Scott. John Scott. I get that, but he's but John Scott's one of the boys. Well, I mean, have yeah. they did you did you see? Uh, they have not announced at least what what I've seen. Who's going to replace them? It's probably going to be either Domi or Doan, just because. I put um, yeah, just because there are like too Sh- many I defensemen. We, I know we don't like Shane Doan, or especially on the show, but. Doan's earned it, and plus, I think we still have Domi in the skills competition. I, mm-hmm. The skills competition is no, the draw. I, of the weekend. I think uh, I think John Scott's less likely to elbow somebody in the head than uh, Shane Doan at the All Star game. <laughs> uh, segwaying from that, uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but did you see the uh, shirts that John Scott made? No. So he made uh, someone in San Jose or Arizona. I can't remember. Uh, no, it's someone in Arizona. Uh, he contacted this person to make shirts for them, uh, and it's for his Pacific Division teammates in the All Star Game. Oh. And it's just a picture. It's a picture of him, I think, wearing like a Sharks jersey or something like that. And it just says above, "Thank you for believing in me." And below that, uh, All Star Captain Pacific Division John Scott. It's like, oh no! And he called the dude and said, "Yeah, I need to cancel this order." That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Well, the whole—I mean, the whole thing is really sad it and is. really it, just it, the timing and everything about it's really suspect. Yeah, even because how does I mean, there's the the trade, the trade in the first place doesn't really make any sense. I don't know why the Canadians would look and say we're missing Tendori. Right. So we were going to get to this last week, but we pushed it off just due to timing. So we want to talk a little bit about the penalty kill. And I was going to start with this uh, kind of a broad-based question here. We won't spend a whole lot of time on it, but at least kind of give you an idea of who is, who's not playing a lot, who should be playing more, and who's effective in what area. Because penalty killers all have different strengths. Some guys are great at back-checking. Some guys are great at just getting the puck out of the zone. Some are good at actually suppressing shots and blocking shots. So just off the top of your head, personal preference. There's no wrong answer here. What? How do you individually define a successful penalty killer i think in my mind someone who's has great positioning is that something that you obviously really want on a penalty kill someone who can read plays very well who's very smart who can try and get in the lanes like maybe not necessarily you have to block shots in the penalty kill Uh, it certainly helps uh but then also i i think 
you need to uh, to have a very high hockey IQ to know when to stay put and in the positioning that I was talking about, but also when to jump on the puck and attack the puck carrier to maybe force the puck out of the zone. And because you see a lot of uh, teams that are very aggressive on the penalty kill, and sometimes it works for them, but they have to have the smart players in order to do that. And what I'd like to see, and it, and it plays in directly to positioning, because I, I, I talk about positioning a lot, is that in a penalty killer, I want someone with, with, with good on-ice vision. Someone who is is aware of where the players are on the ice and gets to where he needs to be accordingly. Because uh, at the very least, even if they're not a good skater, if they ha- don't have any offensive... So if they turn the puck over, they're not going to exactly need to ha- be a shorthanded goal-scoring threat. But they know where the players are, so they know where to when to rotate because they're aware of where their teammates are. And so they're always getting to where they need to be because they're paying attention to where every piece is on the ice since they're down a man. Is there a metric that you look at that says... Who is an elite penalty killer? Uh, penal- penalty goals against. <laughs> uh, so you look at penalty goals against. Do you look at shooting percentage? Do you look at who's allowing shots, who's not allowing shots, who's allowing attempts, unblocked attempts? You're going to allow shots on the PK. I, it's, I, don't, I don't really know. I've never done kind of an in-depth. Yeah, and metrics like that are like I think shooting percentage might be one to, to kind of keep in mind because obviously if, you know, you're out there for, a you know, 30%, you know, or guys are scoring on 30% of the shots and your teammates are scoring on only 15% of the shots. There's probably something there, whether it's bad luck or something else. But, I mean, looking at, like, uh, you know, the shot attempts or shots in general, uh, it's kind of hard just because those numbers are going to be inflated either way. So where's the, I what's, guess... What's the baseline? What's yeah, the, I guess you would just, ha- just have to do, like, league average or something like that and you put everything to, together. To like that. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit misleading, I think, just since... The idea of a penalty kill is, I mean, you're going to get shots. You want to suppress that, but it, it's not exactly going to happen all the time. All right, so I've got it down to four categories, and I'm just going to go by, like, who's the best and worst in what particular category. Uh, high danger scoring chances allowed. Now, this is all set up a baseline of 60 minutes. So for every 60 minutes, so as in if this penalty killer was on the ice for 60 particular minutes, this is what would happen just based off the numbers that we have here. The best at suppressing High danger scoring of chances. Do you want to take a guess on what forward is the best at this? On the team or in the league? On the team. If you want to compare, I mean, if I'm. And you said forward? Forward. Forsberg. No. <laughs> Not even close. Actually, Paul, Forsberg's about like number five. So he's. he's Paul Gostad. No, horribly wrong. Good. <laughs> he's the second worst. Good. I thought, I my, thought my this was sort of a. Paul like Gostad is the something. second worst. Actually, yeah. it's Eric Nystrom. Eric Nystrom, get, uh, Colton Sissons is number two. Over the span of a, uh, I'm gonna, I think I ran this against the Bergeron test, where like Patrice Bergeron is like the best, like our favorite, one of our favorite players. I think here. that test should be renamed the Sean Couturier test. Ooh. Eric Nystrom only allows around, uh, he only allows around nine and a nine and a third scoring chances per sixty minutes. Phil, um, right below him is Colton Sissons. So, kudos to him for that. Gabriel Bork's actually up pretty good on this. Well, as far as defensemen. It's Ryan Ellis. Ryan Ellis is, is in every category. Ryan Ellis is one of the best penalty is killers. He, how many there. minutes do you have versus some of the other guys? Aha. I'm just curious. The average penalty killer for for Nashville so far that's played it's played over twenty minutes. So I I took who's who's only been playing for twenty minutes or more. Ryan Ellis has played forty seven minutes in the penalty kill this year, close to forty eight, forty nine, forty seven. So he's played right at forty eight minutes. The average is right around an hour. Weber and Yossi have played over uh, close to around two hours at this point. 
Um, Ellis has only played 47-59. Salamaki's played 32-38. He's been pretty good. But if you're looking at defensemen, Eklund's actually played about 25 minutes more than Ryan Ellis. Um, yeah, because I, I, I kind of wonder about uh, the quality of competition because I think that probably gets a little thrown off because teams tend to stack their first power play. You know, they, tend oh, to, yeah. they tend to stack them differently. Uh, and so you're going to have, I think, one grouping who are going to face like a really overload-style offense, and the other the other may face a little bit more of a, a, a passing play playmaker style. I just, you know, I kind of wonder. That's a very valid point. I kind of wonder how that all falls together because minutes, I think, play a big factor. The types of, and how the other team, you know, the quality of competition, I think, is going to be huge for that. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like you really need a, uh, like, a PK wowie stat. Pretty much. Um, looking at Philip Forsberg and Cali Yarncrook, they've played around 71, min- 71 and 74 minutes on the penalty kill. They actually have the distinction of having the best on ice save percentage. And they usually start the power, the uh, penalty kill anymore. So ninety-four percent for both of them. So something that's not sustainable on the penalty kill. Yeah, the worst is um, you have everybody else right around eighty-four, ranging from eighty-four to ninety-two percent incrementally. And there's Austin Watson at eighty percent. Oof. I think. Well, I think <laughs> the one thing you get with Forsberg and Yarncroke is those guys are more likely to press the puck over and carry it out of the zone. And so you're gonna. I think you're gonna have much better percentages because they're probably trying to be a bit more aggressive. And I do love an aggressive PK setup. Oh yeah. The uh, most likely or the least likely to allow shot attempts on the ice: Ryan Ellis, Austin Watson, Mika Salamaki, Matthias Ekholm. Those are your top four. After that, it's a quantum leap forward to Philip Forsberg, Eric Nyström, Colton Sissons. The most likely to be on the ice with a shot attempt against. This is exactly who to expect: uh, Fisher, Yossi, Gostad. Weber's actually not uh, not that bad on this one. Uh, unblocked shot attempts, or Fenwick. Uh, shot attempts, uh, Ryan Ellis leads this category. He is the most likely to not have a, um, a unblocked shot attempt. Uh, most likely, Gabriel Bork. Didn't see that one coming. Mm-mm. Gabriel Bork's actually played less than average minutes on the penalty kill, yeah, too. Yeah, but he also hasn't... I mean, I feel like there's probably a sample size issue with that as well. Oh, he's played 43 minutes. Uh, that's more minutes than Salamaki, more than Sissons, Watson. Right on par with Eric Nystrom. Eric Nystrom's only played 49 minutes on the penalty kill this year. See, I, I, think, I think the minutes play a big... That's why I think the minutes have, have a big factor to this because it says a lot about who's in the ice. But, Dan, you did say one thing that struck me, and I have to ask this question. It's a bit of a non-sequitur, so bear with me. Let's hear it. Uh, it is related to the Predators because I'm making it related to the Predators. You, 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 refer, you said Quantum Leap Forward. Yeah. If the Predators were the subject of an episode of classic science fiction series Quantum Leap, who would Sam Beckett jump into in the national organization? I cannot answer this question. Let me see. Who would he jump into? I, I guess it would depend on the type of episode that he's looking for, but I would say he would, because it's usually never like a, a big, huge person, right? Oh, I mean, it can be a central character, but yeah, it usually has to be like a like a support person of some sort. Colin Wilson. Ooh, I like that answer. That's yeah. better than anything I think of. That's a good one. I like it, Colin Wilson. Yeah, perfect. I have nothing to add after that. <laughs> um, Someone, someone's gonna be listening to the show, being like, "Yes, they said Quantum Leap." It's like they referenced Langoliers last year, last episode, and now they're doing Quantum Leap this episode. It's the best. The most effective penalty kill unit they can throw out there, if you're looking at, uh, one thing I look at is Fenwick save percentage, as in what gets through the shot block that actually goes on net. Uh, that is uh, Forsberg, Bork, Yarncroke, Weber, Yossi, Ellis, and Mike Fisher. So, I mean, the, the guys who are known for being 
excellent two way forward or the elite players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and this is, I mean, it, when it comes down to special teams, I'm a big believer in the Frank Beamer law of special teams, which if you're not familiar with college football, he no, played, not, <laughs> not at all. He played as starters on special teams. Some could say that college football is your quantum leap. I don't know. I mean, sure. I hope it doesn't get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd suck if those players had to focus on their educations. Yeah, it'd suck if these universities didn't have hundreds of millions of dollars getting poured into them for, yeah. And track how, <laughs> track how much of that goes to things that aren't academic related. Uh, how does Alabama actually, the University of Alabama taking a, quote, quantum leap forward in research over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so? Hey, you know, hey, with the you amount know, of you, money being poured in from you, donors everywhere. You know what school was key in the development of Febreze? UTC. And, you know, they, they're not a Div 1 program, and they, they helped invent one of the finest products that you can get. I don't, I was I don't even have anything to say. I was, I'm 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 picking a fight. I have no dog cor- whatsoever. <laughs> That's so a uh, correlation oh, without I, causation. Sorry, sorry. I I feel bad. I just made it. I made like a classic thing, like thing that people say, but it's related. I don't like dog fighting, so I shouldn't say that. I take I I apologize. I don't like that. Hmm. I didn't even realize where you were going with dog fighting. Well, if I don't have a dog in that fight, I don't want to reference. That just seems oh, that's bad. Pity's sake. I got you. I don't like that. All right. Uh, anything else before we go to five tough questions about penalty kill or anything in particular you would like to see more of? I would like to see less power play goals against. I'd like to see that's less. a hot take there, John. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I had to reach deep to get that one. I, I mean, I mean, if you're going to say that, I, I'd much rather see fewer penalties taken. Yeah, how about that? Yeah. Um, I'd like to see a little more discipline in the offensive zone. Yeah, it's been from, it was it was guys. especially over the last couple of weeks. It's been very the yeah. discipline has been very bad. All right, let's do five tough questions. Um, let's see here. Number one, Victor Arvidsson was sit down to Milwaukee in lieu of uh, Kevin Fiala and, and Cody Bass being called up. Also, Cody Hodgson sent down as well. In your eyes, uh, what is the future of Victor Arvidsson, and is it in Nashville at all? Arvidsson belongs to a long line of tricky Swedish wingers, players that the Predators have been drafting and signing and doing all sorts of things with. So I have no idea because none of these guys have really worked out. Yeah, it's a hard question to answer just because, I mean, like, I think that we could probably say that all three of us here like Victor Arvidsson. um, And he's just had one of those, like, weird up and down seasons where a couple of games he's playing really well, maybe not getting rewarded for it. And, you know, he'll pot a couple goals then. And then for another couple of games, he's just looked absolutely awful. He's getting pushed around. He doesn't look like he knows where he is at on the ice. And then he's taking stupid offensive zone penalties. And that just kind of the story. So I, I, I feel like maybe we'll have an idea at training camp because, I mean, he's been blowing it up in the AHL. And I don't know how much he's got left to prove there. But again, he also is pretty pretty young and hasn't yeah. had enough yeah. NHL experience I guess so I would say that it, we know a little bit more probably well, about next year I'd be a little bit surprised to see him up for the rest well, of the year he, he was dra- he was like an overage draftee though wasn't he yeah I think he's 22 or 23 yeah so I mean he's he's pretty close to where he's going to be development wise right uh you know I, I, he may be one of those guys who is an effective AHL player but just can't make the jump I mean one of my class examples the Alexander Giroux of the world mm-hmm. who are quality quality AHL guys but just don't they're lacking an element to, to play in the NHL and and a lot of those guys either they, they keep trying the NHL or they go overseas and, and they find a lot of success I just you know the Predators have taken a lot of chances on Trixie Swedish wingers and players and you know you just hope one of them pans out but you don't expect them to and right. I kind of see Arvidsson and Oberg and 
Uh, Salem was in the Claussen and and Salem. They're all in that same mold. Yeah, it's also kind of hard to gauge, too, when just, I mean, most players in the Predators at some point have not been performing up to their regular standards, too. So it's, you know, again, another one of those chicken or the egg type things. I I wouldn't be terribly surprised uh, to see one more training camp for, for Arvidsson and then, you know, Maybe have him, you know, see a mutual termination. Him right. get signed overseas, and he was he'd probably have a really good career in Europe. Mm-hmm. Number two, news surfaced that Ryan Nugent Hopkins was also offered as part of a trade bounty for Seth Jones. Uh, general managers John Garcia and Chris Link, what deal would you have made? Uh, didn't we? I feel like we talked about this last week. Yeah, we've got some confer- confirmation. It was on a couple it. weeks ago. I think that we. I think we said that we would. Both of us would prefer Ryan Johansson over Nugent Hopkins. We, I think that we came to the realization that you believed that uh, Nugent Hopkins would have been the better player, but I think we thought that Johansson would have been the better, um, the better fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he he fits with the Predators' need for the next several years. Got to that. Uh, do you think that there's a uh, as far as the value goes though, because Nugent Hopkins his his contract is you know it's only six million dollars. Uh, Johansson's gonna he's right now gaining some more ammunition to ask for even more money um, do you think we're gonna look back and kind of eh we should have gotten Nugent Hopkins or do you think this is because um, I like the bigger player right if you're gonna get as a GM upset or hesitant or anything squeamish about paying your number one center you're probably not a very good GM because you have to pay your number one center um, I think at that point, you and if you if you're struggling to do that, you have to look and see. Oh, what contracts did I sign that is making this a problem? And then you can be like, Oh, I made the following mistakes. I'm paying my goaltender seven million dollars a year. I couldn't I couldn't get my elite uh, a defensiveman to sign a contract, so he got offer sheeted by a team that can pay him infinite dollars. Yeah. So, all right. So we're all we all still agree. But even um, do, do you, not even the dynamic of uh, keeping Seth Jones out of the West is a is that a selling point as well? Honestly, I like people always say, oh, they're not going to trade in the division. They're not going to trade in the division. And it kind of bugs me. It's like that shouldn't be like a, a sticking point if it's going to make your team better. Like I think if, you know, Colorado decided that they wanted Seth Jones for, let's say, Matt Duchesne. Do it yesterday because that fills a need for both teams, and then hopefully you're a lot better than the other team. But no, I don't. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and I agree with the, what you said. I think the size that Johansson has is a uh, little bit more of an asset to this team than you know. Uh, RNH has what like four inches and thirty pounds or something less than yeah. Than Johansson, I think they should have just asked James Neal, "Hey, uh, which one of these guys do you think is going to be a better is going to be better to play with?" Because even though if James Neal doesn't finish his career in Nashville, he played beside Evgeny Malkin, and no one can complain about Evgeny Malkin. And you know he's played along some good some good players in Dallas as well, so I think he'd be actually one of your better resources on that. Uh, number three, what is Kevin Fiala doing this year that he wasn't doing last year? Playing more NHL minutes? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, we've we've seen him in two games. Uh, I feel like maybe he's he's going to be a little bit more aggressive this year. Uh, I, I think in the couple couple chances he had last season, he might have been a little bit more in the finesse game, and this year he's a little more direct. He's also, I mean, months removed from starting a life in a brand new country yeah. and all that all that other stuff. So I think he's a little bit more acclimated now. I mean, he 
he went through that tough time where you know he was working out through the entire summer to make the Predators out of training camp, and he didn't do that. And he, I guess, he was feeling a little bit sorry for himself. Then you know he realized, you know, if I continue to do this, this is not going to help me. So pulled himself up by his bootstraps and started having a better second half in the AHL. So I think he's starting to learn a little bit more and knowing that maybe right now this he might not be up for the rest of the season. We hope he is, and the way that if, if he continues to play like that, he will be. But I think he realizes that he needs to make 100% of his effort every shift, every night, for him to stay up there and get the role that he wants to have. Number four, uh, this is a parallel here. Uh, the NFL used to be a league uh, where teams relied primarily on one running back. This season got a sports parallel here. Uh, Titans had Eddie George. Uh, every team had their one running back that they all relied on. Uh, nowadays, because of the durability, the workload, and even the salary cap, teams have adopted more of a two-back league. I mean, we're seeing it. Most every team in the playoffs that's still remaining, they have two solid running backs they can turn to. One's not working, do you get the other guy to go? Get the other guy some more carries. Maybe one of them gets hurt. Oh, not a big deal. So looking at uh, kind of a parallel with goaltending, because one of the uh, user questions touched on this too, and now we see three teams that are running some type of a two-goalie system where it's more evenly split where you have uh, Anaheim, St. Louis, and Dallas. Um, do you see more NHL teams eventually going to this model over the next five to ten years? I'm having deja vu. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, the, uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, I think there's a cultural thing to overcome. Um, ten years? I mean, five years I think is too soon. Uh, ten years maybe you can, you can have shifted culture a lot, but hockey culture shifts very slowly. Because uh, I think to have that system work, you need to you need to to start at the low levels, and you know, it, once goaltenders get used to playing, being the guy, they are, their goal is to be the guy, and and that happens pretty early on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you tend to know who the starting goaltenders are for a team coming out of the CHL. Yeah, and again, it just depends on you know what the the coach it depends on what type of workload the uh, players have because you look at someone like uh like bro Dewar, he hated taking days off and would actually say that he took more action in practice on days when he wasn't playing than when he was so he felt that you know getting days off uh to get the workload in that he, he just didn't enjoy it and i guess that's a personal thing um so i'm not i'm not entirely sure i guess the best way to say is just wait and see if Anaheim, Dallas, St. Louis wins a cup with that two goalie system. Everyone's going to start doing it just because the NHL is a copycat league. St. Louis isn't going to win a cup. They're not allowed. Look, some some of these people want to hang on for a couple more weeks before their hearts get absolutely crushed. So I'm giving them that. Last question. Um, If you had to place your bets right now, where does Nashville finish in the central? And is there a place or a matchup that you want them to have? They will inevitably play the Blackhawks and get crushed. Um, so where are they going to finish? You know, at this point in the season, I really think that you know they're either going to finish fourth or they're going to finish in the number one wild card spot. You don't see them as being a two wild card spot team. I just I I want to believe more than that. Yeah. I just think I think I think they're going to be at least in a wild card spot. If not, I look. But I say fourth. I mean, the fourth is a wild card spot. Um, well, fourth, but fourth in division is different than being in a wild. It's it's the NHL playoffs. It's weird now. Yeah. So they <laughs> they would be in that wild card spot, 
they that played the, number one. They would play the, the division leader with the um, most points. Or no, least amount yeah, of points. The the lesser of the two. So probably the Kings. Mm-hmm. I would honestly rather go through the Pacific bracket than I would the Central bracket. Yeah, but I mean, if you got to start against the Kings... Get it out of the way when you're fresh. Because the Kings are going to beat on you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it would actually be advantageous to get out of the Central. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, who's your second round matchup going to be against? The Sharks, the Coyotes? Okay. Flames. Even better. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I guess no, they, I, I, I guess don't, they, I don't they, think I, that they're doing, doing that. But so, because you get Anaheim, uh, St. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, San Jose... L.A. That that'll uh, it's, be it. It's right? been a while since we, since we we've gotten to see uh, the Predators eliminated by San Jose in the playoffs. That's been some time. It used to be a yearly tradition. It only happened two years, man. Let him have this one, okay? Why do you got to kill my bits? He killed my bits earlier. I don't I don't feel sorry at all. I, I'm uh, a bit killer. Oh, I, I would think that Minnesota is on the verge of either figuring it out or imploding. Uh, this is the quotes today. I, mean, I'm, I may be reading too much into this, but we know that. Thomas Vanek, we know that Ryan Suter have said kind of publicly they don't believe this roster is good enough. And, I mean, to Thomas Vanek complaining about the quality of centers. You have uh, Ryan Suter complaining about who, publicly to the media who his uh, defenseman partner is. And these are the quotes just last night to, um, to Rossi, to their uh, beat writer. Uh, Suter added, quote, something's got to change, it's implied, within the room. I don't know what it is. Something's got to change, though, so we don't have to go through this every year. Woof. Kind of strong there. Well, maybe it may be the strategy of only drafting and signing people who are from Minnesota or an adjacent state, or is who a, are already is a, is like a dying is a dying strategy, or who are already like twenty nine years old. Did you, did you know Nicholas Backstrom still in the NHL? Technically, yeah, he was scratched last night. Yeah, we we're actually talking about that because um, this was brought up a couple months ago in the comment section, and then I heard about it on the on the radio because I completely forgot. I thought that they like stashed his contract or something like that. No. He's on the roster because they can't do anything with him because yeah. they couldn't buy him out because during the buyout window he was injured, so they're just stuck with him for this. I think this is the last year of his contract. That's glorious. I th- it's a little small peek at Nashville's future. Ooh. Yeah. Well, at least Nashville has a, has a number one center. It's true. That's exciting. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that. I mean, I like Miko Koivu, but at best he's a great he's a shutdown two C. Yeah. yeah. I will say though that uh, just given the things that I've seen, I wouldn't mind playing Dallas in the first round because if they're going to collapse with all that, you know, iffy goaltending and very strong offensive pressure, that doesn't really do a whole lot in the playoffs. I think Dallas would be a terrible matchup for Nashville for this one reason. Their offense exists to stretch you out and take advantage of you in isolation plays. Pecorino has struggled mightily the last two or three years with isolation plays. No. Yeah, I, I think especially because I think Dallas is just their mouths would water at that bottom pairing. I mean, what what it, nothing if we ignore everything else. One thing that Weber is really good at is breaking play out coming into the blue coming over the blue line, mm-hmm. and you know a team like Dallas they're going to come rushing into the zone. They want to get those rushing chances. So if you if if Weber and Yes are out there, they're going to break up those plays along the blue line more effectively than a lot of other defensive pairings. But Potato Jackman, one of those guys is an out out of position, then you're going to have you know, Jamie Ben and, and Sagan and Sharp just taking runs at the goalie. Uh, that would be an interesting. I mean, it's you can't say it'd be any more dangerous than playing in Chicago. Yeah, and I guess and that goes back to last year's playoffs where uh, Laviolette seemed really great at putting the matchups out there on home ice, but at on the uh, enemy ice when he didn't have last change, it was just awful. Like he, there, it seemed like 
in all fairness, he only had yeah. two lines last year. In reality, he only had two lines really to work with. This year, he's going to have three lines. And Paul Gostad. And Paul, and Paul Gostad. Assuming yeah. he's so, not moved off of the deadline for scrap. And so, yeah, and I guess it just goes through. I mean, you look at, what, like, if, uh, you know, Yossi and Weber could shut down that first pair, um, that first line, because I'm sure that they would see a ton of Ben and Sagan and Sharp, and then they've got the second line, too. I mean, Ekholm and Ellis are also really good um, defensive pairings. I mean, on home ice... They could get the matchups that they wanted yeah, but, for. But who's going to have home ice advantage going into the playoffs? True. It's going to be Dallas. Yeah. So they're going to the pressures so on them. It, so I, I would rather be the visiting team for this regard. I think the pressure is always on the first, always on the home team for the first two games. As long as you win one of them as a visiting team, you're set. Yeah. You're set. I, 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 if you if you neutralize and even out everything, and you just look at who has first change, or who sets those line matchups, then the home team has the immediate advantage. Since they're going to have one more game behind their matchup. So if you're going to go to seven games. I think that you've got the advantage comes with the home team in the end. I think if you if you're the if you have first change, okay, I'm going to roll out uh, Weber, Yossi, Johansson, Neil, and Fiala. <laughs> Come at me, bro. I mean, I, I, I'm at that I'm at that point. I think that the the top line and the top pairing in Nashville can actually go toe to toe with just about anybody in the league. And I haven't been oh, able to say I, that in forever. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue that at all. Yeah, that's fun. I, we haven't been able to say that forever. So I've never said that. Yeah, I've actually never said that. All right. Um, looking ahead to this week, they got the Blackhawks on Tuesday, and then back on the road, right? Yeah, Winnipeg again. Oh boy. Ugh. Yeah, it's... I think that's it for the season series, right? They finished their season series with Minnesota last night, and I think they might be done with Winnipeg because I, I swear to God, it feels like every other game in the past month has been Winnipeg. It's been uh, it's been about every two games, so uh, pretty close. Kind of tired of playing Winnipeg at this point. <sighs> I mean that's the story of Winnipeg's life. <laughs> and then they go. Uh, then they have a whole Western Canada road trip. They go I, to uh, Edmonton and to end the week, and then they've got a back-to-back looming next week with Vancouver and Calgary. But focusing just on the first, uh, on the next three games, what's the target for this? If they go two zero and one, happy, happy folks here. Yeah, if they, I'd, I would love for them to win two games. If they lose one of those games in regulation, I won't be too upset about it, but they should pull at least a point out of every the, single game. The Predators have a good history of vengeance games in Chicago where they'll lose against Chicago and they'll come back and be like, that was a fluke. We're going to beat you this time and win. Um, so I really think like a like a 2-1 and one or 2-0-1 oh is is really doable, and I, really, I think they can beat the Blackhawks, and I want to see them do it on national TV just well, because. They also, outside of the playoffs, uh, if I remember correctly, have a pretty good record playing on NBC Sports against the Blackhawks. Which is a weird sentence, because how many times have they actually played against the Blackhawks in NBC Sports? More than The FU expect? goal. Yeah, there's that one. There's also <laughs> uh, two seasons ago, uh, I think Hutton was the starter, and they blew him out like 6-2 to two or something like that. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. I actually sat next to a guy at Jets wearing a Patrick Kane jersey who was drinking Stella's all night and talking about picking up a prostitute. Sounds about right. Yeah, I mean, it was literally everything. Stella might be a little bit too high class for that, though. I would have expected, mm. like, Budweiser or something. No, he was he was asking, like, all different types, like, for, like, vodka shots afterwards, too. He, he even structured his drinking wrong. It was incredibly <laughs> disheartening. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago fan in Nashville not knowing how to drink. Surprise. All right. Uh, if they we, we set the bar that as long as they were in playoff position at the end of January, we felt good about their chances making it in. They got after the All-Star break. Ton of home games in February. Not the murderer's row that February was last year. They've actually got a couple of two-day vacations in there. So all is not doom and gloom. In playoff spot, do we mean like just like one or two points out? Uh, right now they're in the playoff spot. 
right now because the Cal uh, they have a game in hand or um, Colorado has a game in hand, but they're Colorado, so I'm not too worried about that. Shame spiral. Shame spiral. Was it really? Did that switch? Because uh, at the beginning of the week, or I'm sorry, like Friday, I looked and uh, Nashville had a game in hand on Colorado. I may have that backwards. Doesn't matter. It's Colorado. Now you know what they do have a game in hand over Colorado and a point lead. So All right. Okay. Cool. All right. Anything else before we close the book on this one? No, if anyone's going to the Lamb of God or Anthrax show on Wednesday, it's at Marathon, let me know. Hang out, get a beer. Mm-hmm. If anyone's flying to Dallas on Thursday, DFW I'm, and not Love's I'll Park. Be, I'll be working on the plane, so just don't talk to me. I'll be working. <laughs> That's <laughs> sure as hell inviting. I get, I get a bill hours, guys. I can't, <laughs> I can't bill for Preds talk, unfortunately, someday. I'll just claim it. You know, just, just order a drink and claim it. All right, guys. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at 3D Link. You can follow him on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can follow myself at Dan D Bradley. You can follow the show at On the Forecheck and uh, get to us on OnTheForeCheck.com through SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Casts, Smoke Signals. I think that's all of them. That's all of our streaming services. Also, subscribe to our newsletter. We have a newsletter? Not anymore. Oh, good. We never did. Yeah, I'm not, I don't see as much of a newsletter crowd. All right, guys, have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon.